Ahoy hoy, everybody. We've got some great news about our second year in a row at San Francisco's Sketchfest. That's right. We have another live show on January 16th at 8 p.m. That's a Wednesday night at the Gateway Theater. And boy, do we have some special guests joining us. That's right. Julia Prescott and Allie Gertz from the Everything's Coming Up Simpsons podcast will be our special guests, and we'll be discussing the episode, The Principal and the Popper. Is it the worst episode ever? Is it secretly good? We will decide on the stage that night. So if you're looking for some fun and surprises, even more surprising than Armin Tamzarian's real name, you'll want to join us on Wednesday, January 16th, 8 p.m. at the Gateway Theater in downtown San Francisco. Look up those tickets for yourself or check out the schedule at sfsketchfest.com. Tickets are going extremely fast, so if you want to come to this show, please go to sfsketchfest.com right now, right now, and get your tickets soon. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy, everybody. Welcome to Talking Simpsons, where we develop healthy life adaptations. I'm your host, Twig Boy, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with me today. Henry Gilbert, and I would have liked to have done more podcasts, but I can't on account of my narrow urethra. <laughs> and who do we have on the line? I'm Matthew J, and the J stands for Fix It Again, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> and today's episode is the King of the Hill episode, Pilot. Just a show about nothing. That's right. We are pranking everyone out there for reasons. So previously in the history of Talking Simpsons, when The Critic premiered, we did Talking Critic, you know, our first episode of that. And when Duckman premiered in The Simpsons Chronology, we did Talking Duckman. And now, because King of the Hill debuted in season eight of The Simpsons, we are doing Talk King of the Hill, one ah, episode at least. That's Possibly, this could be our miniseries in 2019 for the Patreon, patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, because I feel like it will be a front runner in the voting process. TBD. That's only up to you. And I'm pointing at the audience, and by you, I refer to by me, me, which is you. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, we're, t- we're so bit heavy here already. But the, uh, we would have done it when it premiered in the Simpsons season, but we honestly just kind of forgot about that tradition of doing Simpsons-related animated series at the time. But now, when it also fits our schedule better for our upcoming live show, January 16th, get your tickets now, San Francisco, we're doing this one to push season nine just one more week away. And I think uh, some of our fans out there have not heard our other podcast, What a Cartoon, and this could give you a taste of what a cartoon is like. In fact, we did the episode Peggy's Headache for What a Cartoon, and in case you don't know what a cartoon is, very similar to Talking Simpsons, but we do another cartoon show uh, and another episode from that show every week. Mm -hmm. Matt J., our guest here, has been on that many times. Yeah, I love that show. And hey, plugs up front here for Matt J. You have a brand new podcast that fans of this show I think would really like, don't you? Oh boy, I wasn't expecting this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, my buddy Steve Yurko, uh, who is an animation professional, and I, uh, he's a storyboard artist who's worked on a bunch of shows, uh, particularly shows for Adult Swim, have launched a new podcast that's all about Adult Swim. We're going through, in like airing order, every show that Adult Swim ever aired, which were, at first was a great idea, we're quickly learning is not that great an idea. <laughs> season by season, season. So uh, season one of Oxygen Hunger Force was an episode. Season one of C-Lab was an episode. So we'll revisit those shows as the seasons come up. And we've had all kinds of cool guests like uh, Blair Gorman, who is the pu- 
puppet coordinator on Robot Chicken. Oh. Uh, we're going to have... I, we have one very special guest that I can't say that I'm trying not to say that hasn't been announced yet. But I will tell you, when you guys look at the podcast feed and see that guest, you're not going to believe it. Mm. Uh, but we're also doing one uh, tonight with Alan Denton, who is the writer on Sonic Boom. He's going to talk about Harvey Birdman with us. And our Patreon show at patreon.com slash the deep end, which is the name of the show, the deep end. We're doing every episode of the Venture Brothers in order because that's awesome. like that's the awesome. greatest show of all time. So gimmick infringement there, brother. <laughs> that was wrestling terminology. Sorry. This is bad form for a podcaster, but I demand to be on your Assy McGee episode when that happens. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. I mean, nobody else has requested that one, so sure. I kind of secretly love That's that show. That's been an issue is we go to people and are like, hey, we would love to have you on the show. What show do you want to do? And they're like, and they'll mention a show that's fr- like Rick and Morty or something. We're like, okay, that'll be in like three years. So right. we'll see you then. I'll talk to you in 2021 about that. <laughs> but who wants yeah. my Nora team, huh? huh? Mm. Oh my God. I just had to recall that. <laughs> yes, yeah. We wouldn't do yeah, that on What a Cartoon because it's not animated. My Nora team's not no, I mean, it's just a slideshow. That was my yeah. joke. Oh, I see what you mean. But it did yeah. have Dana Snyder doing a voice I don't want to hear again. <laughs> Hmm. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Let's move on for that unpleasantness. So we talked about King of the Hill on What a Cartoon. Check out that episode if you want to hear more. But we also talked about the history of King of the Hill. And instead of rehashing that here, we will just cut in that segment of What a Cartoon for you to listen to right now. Like oh, this sorry. was Mike Judge, 1995. Uh, it started working yeah, on it, right? Yeah, uh, with Greg Daniels of The Simpsons, who read episodes like Bart Sells His Soul, I believe Secrets of a Successful Marriage, Homer and Apu. Mm-hmm. Uh, he left The Simpsons, and he probably would have been a showrunner if not for if not David S. Cohen, if not Mike Scully. You Just know, midway like, through season yeah. seven, they're actually pretty sad on season seven. Like we lost Greg; he was really great. Mm-hmm. Like he was Millhouse. That's who Greg says. Like he was Millhouse as a kid. <laughs> oh yeah, he looks the most like Millhouse of any. Simpsons and if you look at King of the Hill and Greg Daniels, other shows that he ran and created, like uh, the American version of The Office and Parks and Rec, he is very good at building very specific places and putting very specific people that you would not see on shows like Ron Swanson. There's a he, he's very Hank Hill in some ways, but he's also a very unique character that you mm-hmm. would not see on another show. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of that going on in King of the Hill. Like Dale Gribble is like one of the first characters of this type I've ever seen in not in reality. I mean, my uncle was Dale Gribble. He belonged to a gun club. <laughs> I shot guns with him. He always wore a, a ball cap and sunglasses because he was bald. Uh, he loved conspiracy theories. He thought Bill Clinton killed people. Uh, in fact, I think either Mike Judge or Greg Daniels said the one accurate thing that we didn't make Dale was racist because if Dale was mm-hmm. all of these things, he would also have to be racist. And my I, uncle was racist. I know that all of his traits in real life are are 9,999 times out of uh, 10,000 a racist asshole. So they yeah. have to be like, well, but this is the one that isn't. This this guy's okay. In, in real life, he'd be like, "Hey, Hank, you know about those globalists, right? <laughs> yeah. Those uh, those triple parentheses. You heard about these?" But I'm glad that so Dale is my favorite character, mm-hmm. and I love Hank. And but a Dale, I have a Dale Gribble action figure. Uh, actually, the King <laughs> wow. of the Phil. I was working at GameStop. Wait, no spot. No stop. No, you I was mean, working at GameStop yeah. when they came it's out. A website or a store? Uh, it was both. But uh, <laughs> they were called in-action figures. I remember but it those. comes with a beer, and he's holding a cigarette, and um, I love Dale Gribble so much. Well, my, my favorite who doesn't get much in this episode is Bill. He's yeah. got some uh, good Bill, lines, but it's not about him. No, I, I love Bill in that I I have struggles with depression as well, so I like that in Bill. But I like that he is the saddest. He's He is stupid, but not the dumbest. He's, he's smart enough to know he's in a horrible place and that's why he's sad it's like (laughs) Lenore he's more of a realistic Homer where Homer should be upset about the state of his life but isn't I know just all his and his 
things like his barely hidden love for Peggy. He's like, well, the time when he thought Hank said that Peggy had a twin, he's like, two Peggy? Yes. <laughs> you mean a Peggy that's not married to Hank? It's and like, it, again, that running joke would pay off in an episode where Peggy basically is running a pyramid scheme and forcing Bill to help her. <laughs> oh, yes, and they go off together on a trip and it's very awkward. Yeah. But it all pays off. Like these yeah. running jokes, including one of the first jokes in the series that when Joseph is revealed, he's revealed as a small brown child, not white like Dale, not mm-hmm. white like Nancy. And that is a, a gut punch visual joke that they have to stick with as a story element. For 255 episodes. Yes. Just for <laughs> one off joke. Yeah. Well, who's your favorite, Matthew? My favorite character in the whole show? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It's so hard to pick. I go back and forth. I One thing that I do really enjoy is I love when, you know, we're talking about status quo. I love when characters can involve. Like Dick mm-hmm. Grayson's my favorite comic book character. Oh. We've seen him go from an eight-year-old to he's led the Justice League and the Outsiders. And, and the he Titans. has the best butt in and comics. He has, I love that canonically he has a great butt. That's the <laughs> every, every artist has to draw. You have. Like, you have yeah. to learn how to do it. And yeah. uh, and it's always a square. They always know it's yeah. square. But, anyway. but uh, I love that. And I, I don't consider myself a big fan of... Uh, of uh, Joseph, but the change he makes where he changes from Brittany Murphy to Brecken Meyer yeah. to doing that voice, it just kills me every time. It's he so funny. He basically becomes puberty incarnate. Like yeah. A dumb, like, sex crazed teenager. <laughs> dumb and frustrated. He's like, why can't I? do this but uh but in terms of character i mean and that's a very identify the kids i identify with because i i was literally going through puberty as that character did and that was a wow that was an interesting thing Man. for me to, to what experience. a perspective yeah and the cartoons i didn't get to see cartoons do that yeah but uh i i to this day as a little kid growing up with my normie ass family uh who was like i wished i was jewish and canadian because i was a little comedy nerd <laughs> like uh-huh. i identified with bobby so hard because yes. i wanted to be a performer i you know and then i eventually like in my early 20s started taking improv classes and that kind of stuff and i to this day every time i pick up a new like artistic hobby i think of bobby you know mm-hmm. trying to spread his wings and be artistic and his dad just trying to tamp him down to I, being normal those I are the best episodes yeah, yeah i well especially what are you talking about <laughs> what are you talking yeah about? or like going to the deli and getting gouts because he eats too much uh, weird fish the, bo- the bobby is the original fail son like yeah he was, yeah uh, the the he is the guy that is cursed upon the high school football star who's like dreams of when I have this son, he's going to obviously as a pudgy fail son myself, <laughs> I could identify with it sometimes too much. But that like that boy ain't right. That defines him that he Hank thought he was going to have a, a future football star. And he's a weird kid listening to toilet sound. <laughs> yes. it, it was a miracle that he was born because yes. of Hank's narrow Uridi. And he had then he'd like he just is like, this is the one that we got. But yeah. he loves him because he's his dad and he's a great son. He's my boy. Yeah. But yeah, I <laughs> mean, uh, sorry, I threw us all off track with that. Yeah, uh, Hank Hill out of nowhere. Don't but stop. Yeah, I mean, that's the great dynamic between them. And you never get a sense that Hank hates Bobby. He's just like mm-hmm. trying to understand him, which is why it's a very, very sweet show. Uh, so I wanted to talk more about the development of the show. Sure. So I think uh, the comic sensibilities of Greg Daniels and Mike Judge are very different. Mm-hmm. But they like spe- very specific characters. And I think like the soft libertarianism of Mike Judge pairs well with the sort of more leftist influences of Greg Daniels to sort of make it a show for kind of everybody because you can mm-hmm. watch the show and be like, oh, I'm on board with Hank. This stuff is weird. I'd be like Hank. Or you could be like watching it as an overeducated jackass like me and be like, yes, Hank is very naive and the humor is all from him being very naive about things. It's mm-hmm. like it makes it a show that 
uh, doesn't really look down on the characters, I think. Yeah, not really. I think that, too, is when there's stories of when Mike Judge, like, came back to the show was because he, he had left the show under other showrunners and he would come back because he felt they were making Hank the joke too much. Yes. Mm-hmm. Although I say I love those seasons. That's five and six, I believe. Yeah, and there's a lot of fun with those. So many great episodes, including Alabaster, the, the one where <laughs> Hank becomes a pimp unwittingly. I mean, I think that's the one everyone remembers. The I most. am the Mac Daddy of Arlen County. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the, I'm pimping the propane. Every, yeah. And well, and that Mike Judge did the amazing thing that he'd never had to do, and I wouldn't think anyone in Hollywood would do this is that he was working on the show and they they coupled him with Greg Daniels. And then he was like, Greg, you've given so much to making the show work. You're the co-creator now. Like, Mike Judge had the sole creator credit, which means millions of dollars. To then say someone is your co-creator, you are giving them millions of dollars that you could just keep. There's a lot of credits in, in animation and in just regular American TV of created by blank developed by blank and those things really just mean someone's getting paid less in residuals than the other more money to them less money for them every time you see an image i remember like learning oh wait matt graining didn't draw every image of the simpsons his name's just on it troy mcclure covers that in the clip show actually (laughs) (laughs) so i have a clip of the pitch uh, the pitch pilot sort of thing they made for fox and Hank is talking directly to the president of Fox TV at the time, John Matoyan, I think his name is, mm. and we talked about him a lot on Talking Critic. What an asshole. He is the asshole who canceled the critic <laughs> and like called Al Jean and Mike Reese into his office and like, tell me why this show is funny. You will sit here and watch this show with me, and I want you to tell me why you think it's funny. <laughs> and his job for two years at Fox was to only make NBC-style uh, uh, must see TV style shows, which failed. Like, mm-hmm. like then Stacy has good actors on it, but who, who <laughs> ever thinks of that show? They're all making like what friends, friends likes, yeah, friends all likes. friends likes, yes. coupling ripoffs. So here is the uh, the pitch pilot, whatever you want to call it. It's all on YouTube, but here is a small portion of it. Well, Mister Matoy, and I'd say y'all got the makings of a damn good cartoon here. I mean, you got my wife Peggy, and she's real smart. She teaches Spanish. I sure do. Yo hablo espanol. Isn't that something? (laughs) And I'm real proud of my boy Bobby because he, uh, uh, well, because he's my boy. A bee stung my head. Put some ice on it, son. (laughs) And Luann's living with us now since the tornado. Hello, Hollywood. Love your movies. (laughs) She'll probably be real good for ratings, the way she dresses. There you have it. He introduces everybody, but this seems like maybe just part of the pitch pilot because it feels like there was something before that because he's like, well, there you have it. You know, yeah. and, the- and that's uh, that's obviously, obviously not Kathy and Jimmy and, and all those uh, actors. That's um, what's her name from The Simpsons? Oh, boy. Well, it sounded first like I was thinking, Pamela. No, Tress? Was it Tress? Uh, yeah. At first I thought Tress McNeil, but it might be Pamela Hayden. Mm. Uh, I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, I don't All know right. if that was Kathy and Jimmy, but obviously oh, it was Mike not. Judge. And uh, in the and there's one commentary that's not done with characters on all the DVDs. And that's it's very... I wish it they... It drives me crazy. Yeah. I was like, have some fucking care for this. Tell uh, me about it. I like, could be the King of the Hill historian like I am the Simpsons historian because those Simpsons commentaries are basically where we get all of our knowledge about everything that ever happened. <laughs> You can read more on it. There's more information out there in interviews, including interviews we've done. But, uh, but yeah, the King of the Hill is more opaque in that way. Yeah. Like they, they, I mean, Bob and I got some insight into it too, going to the King of the Hill live uh, 
uh, 10th, 20th anniversary show that we yeah. went to last year. Last January, they did the uh, live reading of Husky Bobby, and it was amazing. It was so <laughs> yeah. That is a great episode. Every living cast, regular cast member was there to read their parts. And pa- Pamela Adlon was there to read the Brittany Murphy roles. And she oh, did an nice. amazing job. Yeah. And then someone asked her, what's it like to have a dead person that used to work yeah, with Yeah, everybody was just <laughs> like, you know these Q&As don't have to ask, like, uh, make them think about their dead friend who they can't not be thinking about right now. Maybe have fun questions. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I wanted to bring up from the 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 few the little that we know about the production of the show based on commentaries is that uh, Mike Judge did not want to be Hank Hill. Mm-hmm. He did not want to voice the the role of Hank Hill because it's like this is a voice I already do. This is a voice people know. It's a major character on Beavis and Butthead. I want a different person, but they couldn't find anybody. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, even though it was weird being a Beavis and Butthead fan to hear Mr. Anderson mm-hmm. as a new character, but it's just like this. There is no cartoon voice like Hank Hills. It is like one of the greatest cartoon voices ever because Mike Judge is not a professional voice actor. You get sounds out of that guy that no polished voice actor will mm-hmm. be able to do. Like Beavis and Butthead and Hank Hill are all like, no one else is doing those voices. <laughs> and then he would eventually... Uh, make a show that just started its hippie teacher as well. Yeah. Uh, the Good Family. I never gave it a chance. Uh, I've yet to watch it. It sounded so one note. I expect it to be good. It was supposed to be the hippie version of King of the Hill. Yeah. Uh, it was supposed to be the inverse, the the other side of the coin. If you I've will, heard but. it's better than it got credit for, mm-hmm. but I have yet to dig into it. But he also, uh, do you remember when he went on Space Ghost and he illustrated the difference it was between so those good. two voices? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> and he's like, no, this is Hank Hill. That boy ain't right. Now this is Mr. Anderson. That Oh no, I tell you what. And this is Mr. Anderson. I tell you what. I think over totally time... Different. Uh, Hank Hill would I mean everyone would you know have more energy as happens with every animated show people pick up the pace but I think Hank Hill would eventually become some degree removed from Mr. Anderson over mm-hmm. time like he'd grow into his own but man seeing Mike Judge in person at the that thing like yeah oh, oh. <laughs> he sinks <laughs> he sinks his face into his chin Whoa. to talk like Hank Hill it's yes. great he is a great watching him do that stuff is a great lesson in voice acting where yeah. you see if you watch uh, we we have talked about it on some other show that that movie uh, the documentary I know that voice some of the people do show off like okay i have to touch my i've touched my throat like this to do this to do that character and i have to do it a certain way or i might break my voice <laughs> like, like this <laughs> that's amazing or, you know the way tom kenny does spongebob's laugh is he slaps his throat oh, God, over yeah. and over again that's gonna injure him one day but yeah mike judge he like transforms into beavis and butthead when he voices them if you've ever seen yeah real high it's oh, so great it's beautiful but and the other the rest of the cast is some of my favorite ever like, yeah right. uh, again not a lot of voice actors mm-hmm. in the cast like kathy and jimmy and uh, Brittany Murphy before she briefly became a big star and then mm-hmm. came back to the show when that wasn't really before working. she was the ramen girl. Yes. yes. They moved her across the street. Oh, to, man. Yeah. That was... Or also, yeah, Kathy and Jimmy was like fresh off Hocus Pocus. And yeah. She was starring in stuff. She was not... She was she was still an actress, right, in, but in things, not a voice actress. But Stephen Root have, also. Oh, Stephen Root is my favorite. Per- when I watched Get Out again recently, I was like, "Yeah, Stephen Root, you're so <laughs> awesome!" Like he's he is the greatest in everything. Stephen Root, he can be serious, he can put on a silly voice like meh, 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 meh. <laughs> or like him as the judge in Idiocracy is the funniest two seconds of that movie. Mm-hmm. And same with. Though I also loved him as Jimmy James on news radio. He oh, yeah. fucking rules at <laughs> he's, that. He's so good at that role. So yeah. King of the Hill, a difference from The Simpsons in that it focuses on smaller, more observational stories, which was what Greg Daniels wanted to do. And his other goal was to have like each character have an emotional epiphany or come to a realization mm-hmm. that may change them at the end of each episode. And that really happens here. Uh, but I do want to say what I like about the show compared to The Simpsons, and I, and I love The Simpsons, <laughs> is that in The Simpsons, a lot of humor comes out of characters acting in 
consistently, like Homer suddenly knowing about a Supreme Court judge mm-hmm. or Mo reading, you know, to sick children in a hospital. I, I, All of the humor in King of the Hill comes from characters acting consistently. Like mm-hmm. it's still it's still a laugh line. But like when you realize, of course, Hank has the warranty for his sander in his wallet. But it's like, <laughs> yes, of course, Hank would do that. That's why it's funny. It's not yeah. characters acting like against type that where the humor comes from, which I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dana Gould, I think in our interview or in some other thing about The Simpsons, he summed up Simpsons comedy style so well in saying that the Simpsons joke begins where the regular joke ends. There's what you would assume the joke would be. And then they go against even that expectation. That is the punchline. But on King of the Hill, yeah, the, I think it goes in the opposite direction of like, it's, it solidifies your expectation. And I mean, those are harder jokes to write, which is why I think they have to try a lot harder on this show. They can't make like Hank, uh, Hank totally does something wacky against type. Now it's like, no, we have to, Hank is very rigid. We need to find things that he would do and top ourselves like to add to his rigidity. (laughs) Yeah. uh, One of my favorite examples of that would be when, Hank had to was being told to pay a late fee on pornography he did not rent. <laughs> and he was so insulted that that would even happen. And instead, he was so rigid, like, I will not pay a late fee that isn't mine, that he then watches hundreds of pornos to yes. then find the his legal li- reasoning for it couldn't have been a movie he rented. That's a great... And Bill helps him as a, as a master of porno yeah, knowledge. He, he was the, <laughs> the uh, deep throat for him, no pun intended on yes. that. I love I love that end where Bill is the guy secretly taking back his porno <laughs> tape. At let, the, let the record show, Mr. Hill, you do know your pornography. And with that consistency thing, uh, if, have you ever looked at the design notes for the characters and yeah. the, those are incredible because they're covered in notes about like yeah. Peggy cannot stand this way because that's not right she yeah. stands this way and they even explain like Peggy is conventionally attractive we're fighting that all the time yeah. <laughs> like she yeah. needs to have this posture her hair cannot look differently than this and you cannot give her these curves this is not how, I mean Wes Archer get should get a ton of oh, credit yeah. on this mm-hmm. here too that Wes Archer a Texan yeah a Texan too yeah who, <laughs> with a name Wes Archer what else could it be <laughs> that he Wes Archer in case you don't know he was one of the original animators on the simpson shorts on tracy fucking ullman <laughs> he had worked on the simpsons until season seven just like greg daniels as well i believe his last directed episode was two bad neighbors mm, okay. or maybe one right after that but so he was one of the best artists on this uh, directors on the simpsons and then they pilfered him for king of the hill to be the series director of the show and so all those notes are from him of like hank's eyes would not go this way his teeth would not go this way there's i was just reading through the steven universe design docs too like there's tons of cartoon every cartoon uh, i think has those rules you don't know about because you're mm-hmm. not reading the series bible but when you see them you're like that's why the show, those kinds of rules were invisible, but made the show better. There's mm-hmm. even like acting notes, like characters do not high five each other unless it's in the <laughs> script. Like don't make them too like gesticulate and wacky and stuff like that. They're very rigid, stiff white people. <laughs> and a, another thing about that is uh, Brike, Brian and Mike, the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender, mm. they worked on the show and they were, oh. they were I think, directors oh. on the show. And they, Interesting. Uh, you know, it might have just been one of them, might have just been Brian. I didn't but, know uh, But at least one of them worked on the show and he you know they went on to create the most fantastical crazy show with kung fu elements and stuff and it was almost uh, like it was almost cathartic for him to be like I've been working on King of the Hill for years because he would have fights with, with Mike Judge and Wes Archer and these guys because they'd be like oh you can't fit a camera there and he's like it's a cartoon and they're like yeah but a camera wouldn't fit there so yeah. that doesn't make any sense it's not as fun too so there's no uh, so Futurama has Morbotron and uh, Simpsons has Frankiac there is no King of the Hill search engine but it's a less fun show 
show if you're looking for poses and things like that because mm-hmm. they do act like real people. It's a very mm-hmm. like well made show. Yeah, but it's, the acting is very human like. Uh, if a man is in his sixties and overweight, there that he's. Not going to move all that much. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm tired. And that's why I get a little snippy when people are like, why was the show even animated? And it's like, there are thousands of reasons why the show should and could only be animated. One of them is it's shot like a Coen Brothers movie. Yep. Like, it's yep. shot beautifully, but they're shooting mundane things. That's the trick. So that was our history of King of the Hill from What a Cartoon. Again, that is a free podcast. Check it out. Look up What a Cartoon wherever you find your podcast. And it's also available at the Talking Simpsons Network at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. But this episode aired on January 12th, 1997. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, boy, Bobby. <laughs> uh, this aired on the same night as the Springfield Files. So if folks remember on that, that's when the People's Choice Awards happened and Mel Gibson and Tim Allen won, won big there, as did Sandra Bullock. <laughs> uh, and my beloved Jacksonville Jaguars lost the AFC Championship game, the keeping them out of the Super Bowl once again. Wow. <laughs> and Jackie Chan's first strike debuted in theaters, a oh, pretty good Jackie Chan movie it's baseball movie right no no it's okay. uh it's the f- <laughs> it's the fourth in it's the unofficial fourth in the cop police story super cop trilogy of films it includes the amazing ladder fight if you've seen him like spinning a ladder around a head punching through a ladder that fight that's from first strike as is a scene where jackie chan shows his butt so Ooh. if you want, uh, you get you get all kinds of fun in that movie. A little something for mommy. <laughs> well, I okay. The first two police story movies, but I love them dearly, and they're coming to Criterion soon. Ooh, about time! It is so overdue. Police story is seriously one of the most important films in action movie history. Like it, yeah. it completely changed it. But the People's Choice Award—that's what the first news item was, right? Yes. Yeah. So Mel Gibson, Tim Allen, and Sandra Bullock. I think Sandy B is the only one who came out smelling fresh because Mel Gibson had some things to say about Jewish people, mm-hmm. and then. Tim Allen says he felt like a Jewish person in Nazi Germany. (laughs) We don't have any comments about Jewish people from Sandra Bullock yet. She's, uh, I don't believe so. That's good. She's been on the good, the good side of things, which, uh, she seems cool. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. She had bad things happen to her, but then she, uh, as in like public divorce from a dude, but Mm. yeah, now she's, I mean, she was just in that popular, uh, movie where she's blindfolded blindside right now. Now, um, the bird Bird box. Box. Yes. Bird box. Blindside was a different Sandra Bullock. I have not seen Bird Box. I don't know if I ever will, but I just like the name Bird Box. It's just funny. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was, and this this is true. Uh, Somebody told me a couple months ago they're making a movie for Netflix called Bird Box, and my first thought was, oh, it's about like it's going to be like a Black Mirror about Twitter, right? Like that's their dumb (laughs) name for your phone. Oh, 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 wow. Two of my friends and I will tell, if we're like hanging out and someone's looking at their phone too much, you'll be like, you're looking at your bird box too much. (laughs) Oh my God. I think we're going to keep that going, even though we know that's not the truth anymore. (laughs) I'm going to steal that, Matthew. I will give you credit eventually. (laughs) What if your bird box talked about you? (laughs) (laughs) Social commentary. Well, also, I guess, too, this uh, with when this episode comes out, basically 22 years to the day with when the pilot debuted, too. Oh, nice. And it it was next to listeners. know we didn't love the Springfield Files episode. There were some there are some problems with it, but it's a fun episode. But it was definitely one of the ones Fox loved more than just about anyone because it was the most easy to promote for all their stuff. So you have an event like the X-Files crossover. Then you follow that right up with King the hill 
And King of the Hill was the huge hit Fox was looking for, the huge animated hit, because, mm-hmm. you know, the critic didn't work, and I don't think there was anything after the critic until King of the Hill, but King of the Hill did work. Mm-hmm. And then nothing worked after King of the Hill until Family Guy, which had to work eventually. It took a cancellation for it to work. Well, and we all know how Simpsons alum Mike Reese feels about King of the Hill with regards to Critic, is his the show he co-created. Yes, he's not a fan, and mm-hmm. his uh, comments confuse me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Hank Hill is not Homer Simpson in glasses, but secondly, he, I mean, I mean, he should feel here's what i do agree with mike reese on slightly is that the critics moderate success did prove that an animated show after the simpsons would be a hit and then fox wanted to go with a show they created as opposed to a borrowed show from abc like the critic in its place but that does not mean that king of the hill is a bad show because that was the business reasons behind them wanting another animated show and also king of the hills first season is better than the second season of the critic i mean yeah the second season the critic takes some wild swings and it's really funny but you could also feel like boy you're getting tired like you were running out on this premise here i don't fault to john matonin at all for going with the king of the hill over critic he seems like an awful man but uh sure does. Yeah, i understand yeah. that and i think this first season is very strong i've been watching it because it's been on hulu i also own most of the dvds and watching this pilot again i expected it to be much slower to have fewer laughs to have the characters be much different but really honestly peggy hill is the only character they haven't figured out yet she mm-hmm. is she is i would say moderately different than who would she would uh, eventually become i think this pilot is one of the best pilots i've ever seen because it, like if you compare this to the intended first episode of the simpsons that sucks like some enchanted evening sucks compared to this this has it all figured out they know who their core characters are what they're going to use them for like they introduce all these interpersonal relationships that are going to define the show until the last episode and this episode is crammed full of running jokes characters that would be used extensively the only thing that's missing really is strickland propane and buck strickland yes yeah when con superphone that's right but he shows up in a big episode soon yes yeah but like cotton's there he even does mention he loves he sells propane and propane accessories they do mention that so they know it's there but yeah this is such a fully realized pilot made by such pros who also clearly had a lot of time to work on the pilot like the simpsons pilot this is it's not it's really apple and oranges to compare some enchanted evening to this pilot because they simpsons paved this road for them no one knew how to do that before them the technology was lost And I mean, this is so many borrowed people from Simpsons, like especially Wes Archer as animation director. He was an OG on The Simpsons, so he could show them from the pilot forward how to make this show. Yeah, it's kind of like this episode's even like more ambitious than the show would become, which I guess is a piloty thing. But like that intro with the uh, showing you the flat suburban Texas landscape really lays the show out and would only be, they mirror it once, which I think is in the last episode. The finale is a similar pan away. Yes, yeah. Yeah, but it's so like it's it, it's like it it's almost weird because of the the show becomes about the banality of can you believe that we're making a cartoon that looks like this uh, so quickly after that? And I actually, I just did a full rewatch of the show because it's on Hulu and I've watched every episode again. Wow. wow. Um, yeah, I, I was a lot of like putting it on while doing other things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also realized how how little of the last couple seasons I had seen, which I guess, uh, you know, I was like ready to become an adult at the time and not watching as, as many primetime cartoons. I think Fox did not air the last four episodes. I think they aired on Adult Swim. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And much uh, later than when they were produced, too. Um, but I skipped season one on my rewatch uh, and kind of jumped around a bit and then went back and watched season one last. I was amazed by how much it felt like later on in the show, especially like the jokes are like exactly the same jokes that they were making in the last season. Like, I feel like some of the characters, like, I think it's weird that they all watch Seinfeld. Like, it's stuff like that that I <laughs> yeah. feel like that's the only thing that's like weird. I feel like Hank hates New York City so much in later episodes he would never watch Seinfeld. He probably like would block it off the TV or something if he could. (laughs) Bobby would watch it and tell him to watch it, and he he would not. Yes, (laughs) it's funny, Dan. Closed captioning sponsored in part by. Welcome to the break, folks. Hope you're enjoying this week's special Talking Simpsons installment where we're going through the pilot of King of the Hill. This was a great episode of TV, and I hope you guys are enjoying it too. And a special thank you to our guest, Matthew J., for coming on and talking some more about King of the Hill with us as he did on our podcast, What a Cartoon, which you should definitely check out. And check out all the rest of our cool stuff at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. All the subscribers there make doing this podcast possible for me and Bob as our full time job. We have tons of supporters and if you were to sign up, not only would you be helping us out, but you'd get every episode of Talking Simpsons and What a Cartoon a week ahead of time and ad-free for just $5 a month. You'll get your own specialized podcast feed that you can put into any podcast listening service you use. Just sign up and you'll be able to hear every episode a week ahead of time and ad-free. You could be hearing the city of New York versus Homer Simpson right now and hearing our thoughts about it with our special guests. And you could also hear tons of exclusives like our mini series talking critic where we went through every episode of the critic talking futurama where we did the entire first season of futurama those are both exclusive to the patreon and we'll be doing another exclusive mini series real soon so you'll want to check that out patreon.com slash talking simpsons and even better for our ten dollar premium patrons you'll get a monthly what a cartoon movie podcast where me and bob go through a different animated film in the same what a cartoon style like Kiki's Delivery Service, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, and in January, Akira. You can check all that out and tons, tons more at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. This is your last chance, folks. If you can be in the San Francisco area on January 16th at 8 p.m., you can see our live, live, live podcast at SF Sketchfest at the Gateway Theater at 8 p.m. January 16th. That's Wednesday at 8 p.m. Gateway Theater. We'll have special guests, Allie Gertz and Julia Prescott from Everything's Coming Up Simpsons. It's a Simpsons crossover extravaganza. You'll not want to miss it at SF Sketchfest. Be sure to check it out on the SF Sketchfest schedule or just head on down to the Gateway Theater in downtown San Francisco, 8 p.m. on Wednesday, January 16th. We will see you there. You're watching Nonstop Fox, where the new comedy King of the Hill premieres tonight. Presenting a new comedy. I'm a substitute Spanish teacher. About intellectuals. Los estudiantes son mis amigos. And their gifted offspring. That boy ain't right. About future Hall of Famers. Watch the ball! What? 
and expert auto care. Oh, my head! Introducing King of the Hill. Media executive manager don't talk about it. every time y'all come on like you did to put on that dang old Melrose place. Boomhauer ain't right. Premiering next on Fox. One thing that's changed for me since we watched it for What a Cartoon, that we've done more What a Cartoons, it made me appreciate like the the animation pipeline to make this show work too was figured out by Phil Roman at Film Roman, and that's why they're the animation production company for this too. Like this, compared to Beavis and Butthead, which we loved Beavis and Butthead when we did that on What a Cartoon, but this is such an advancement over it, and it feels like if if Beavis and Butthead happened in a realer world, there's several scenes in this episode i'm like well this is a beavis and butthead scene except reality instead of satire is, yeah. is what's happening after you watch king of the hill uh you realize beavis and butthead live in texas yeah. if it's not yes. obvious immediately you're like oh they're they're living in the king of the hill world pretty much i'm glad they never ran into hank hill because i think uh there'd be some weird mr anderson time cop thing I mean, happening to- there. yeah tom anderson yeah. Is, is hank hill Plus 10 years. The thing about, I think, every animated series I've seen so far, especially primetime ones, is that the first season of every one feels like you're listening to a podcast at one half speed because <laughs> everybody is just naturally a lot slower. It's lower energy. A lot of this first season, the joke is that the characters are low energy. It's about a very uh, mundane world. But I feel like eventually over time, they had to talk a lot faster to tell bigger stories and to fit more content into the episodes, especially Dale. Like, Dale mm. talks so slow in these and then later he talks so fast i think dale's voice is sort of like early homer in this it took until maybe season three to get dale up to speed though it's it's weird to me though because then it sounds like johnny hardwick johnny hardwick has this amazing announcer voice he does too and him that voice and dale used to be farther apart but dale slowly moved closer to that guy dale's more like up here now but in the beginning he's like i'm dale gribble you can go now. <laughs> I love his. This is the meanest Dale Gribble in this. Like, oh, yeah. In the realist. This episode, they soften him from this point onward. I think Hank is a lot meaner. He's not oh, as yeah. quick to snap. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the jokes in this episode are about people seeing Hank angry out of context, mm-hmm. but they would soften Hank a lot too, including his design. Like, he has got way too many lines on his face <laughs> in this first season. They really clean him up in the second season and beyond. And there's an interesting dichotomy of the show, too, politically, I think, because. There's definitely a, like a Texas conservatism to the show, though. I mean, Mike Judge would see himself as more of a centrist, a libertarian type dude who's I think he is a funny, intelligent guy. I'll have some stuff a little bit later about him. That yeah. I'm gonna share. But Mike Judge also is tempered by having all these like wussy ass twig boy writers around him <laughs> all out of Harvard, like like Greg Dan. Daniels and Jonathan Collier that I think temper that a bit and and this, give yeah. it more nuance. This episode has a format that I think they would do better with later, and it mm-hmm. is very sort of one note. I love this episode, though, but it's very Mike Judge in that a know-nothing, effeminate, liberal city boy comes mm-hmm. to Texas or Arlen 
and doesn't know anything about the quote-unquote real world, and Hank is right, ultimately. I think they would do a lot more, so no matter who was watching it, no matter which side they took, they could get something out of it. I'm not not pro-centrism, by the way, but it's a very careful game to play to not make Hank right, but to make him right enough to be sympathetic. And on the DVD extras I was just watching today about the making of, like, Greg Daniels was very clear. These were thoughts I wrote down as watching it, but then in the extras, Greg Daniels is very clear the like he created characters like Dale Gribble or Cotton to show the real right word extremes and the more conservative people in Hank's life yeah. to then make Hank seem more centered. That makes a lot of sense. Like it was, it is an intent. There's an intentionality to that to soften Hank's, uh, you know, very prudishness to not make it seem like he's a hateful man. I will say now one thing that makes me like King of the Hill less in these political times, and I'm an SJW ruining King of the Hill. But it <laughs> is, but there is something to it that it's like this episode stance, especially is oh, you people judge rednecks, but you are actually the judgmental people here, not you. Which it, it is so dismissive of the casual racism and bigotry that it is the heart of many southern people. And yeah, I know this as a native Arkansan, so I'm not just talking shit here. I, but it feels like it apologizes for it in a way of just like, oh, well, you might think he's some redneck wife beater, but you didn't see that a baseball accident hit his wife and all that like in cases in this twig boy is actually correct and he is overzealous but if you go to a house and see the son and the wife have bruises on their head and they yeah. don't say it's from a baseball you do call child protective services <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a, maybe not an accident with uh, most of the time it's a funny episode and i don't like the argument and also you want to uh, you're on hank's side but yeah in these cases you don't give the father the benefit of the doubt the suspected abuser yeah there's another episode that i don't like the message of a lot where it's about um the premises oh this uh, this drug addict is going to come work at a uh, propane Oh, Strickland yep. propane, yep. and he gets to break all the rules because society lets him, and they're trying to take care of him. And oh boy! And so they all pretend to have you know ailments in order to get like you know special treatment. It's 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 a bad message. It's a funny episode though, mm. but it's another very libertarian, um, like judgy thing that I think Greg Daniels and all the wussy Harvard boys do a good <laughs> job of softening. <laughs> yeah, and you, uh, they eventually like create characters that are explicitly for that. Like uh, like Lucky and his whole clan is to show you like, look, these are rednecks. Like mm-hmm. these are just... Hank and, and everybody uh, in their neighborhood are just like regular people. And yeah. same with um with Khan too, is like they show that Khan like makes like just makes all these judgments and makes fun of them based on either misinterpretations or intentional misinterpretations. But uh, they're like just regular people who, who are just trying to get by. Yeah. And I don't, I don't feel that is a fair presentation of things to say that like, Oh, see the only people here who make the assumptions are the people who are normally the judged by society. It's just, it is a very defense of establishment thing that I, I'm not as big a fan of, even though, I mean, I they find funny ways to do it, yeah. for sure. It's a good mark of quality in that I can disagree with the show, and I don't like when Hank is super right all the time, and they would get better about that, but I can still find it funny and still like the characters. <laughs> yeah, when Hank works best, it's like, he, usually, he does end up usually being right, but he's also like open-minded and can change, and mm-hmm. changes. All the best episodes are about him knee-jerk reacting to something and then learning, okay, this isn't so bad. I should be more open-minded, and there are different kinds of people in the world. But in real life, I don't think that ever happens. 
I don't yeah. think the Hank Hills in real life have that reaction. No. Well, that's kind of the message of this episode, too, by the end, which it feels very Greg Daniels. I don't want to take credit away from Mike Judge if he did write this, but it feels very Greg Daniels to me that the episode is the the Mike Judgey kind of message feels like, oh, if we were to do all this PC, touchy-feely crap to interact with our kids, then we'd be raising them poorly, and they'd become hell hellraisers. Yeah. But then at the end of the episode, Hank realizes, like, perhaps being more in open emotionally with my child is a right thing to do. I just need to do it my way. Like, Hank does meet somewhere in the middle with this idea like he's not yeah. going to be as horrible as his own father was that's a, that's really true like when he learns a lesson it's very much like i will do this my own way that i feel comfortable with i will do mm -hmm. this new thing but in the way that i am comfortable with for sure <laughs> and you can see especially in this episode you can see the parts of beavis and butthead kind of repositioned around <laughs> yeah. to work like i mean bobby and joseph are beavis and butthead yes by the way we're bobby and hank on this episode <laughs> we are yes i mean hank just is tom anderson they're the same guy yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, Hank is constantly bedeviled by Van Driesen types who are telling him, no, you need to take care of these kids. You need to listen to these kids when... I'm honestly surprised Mike Judge did not voice that character. Yes, yeah. Well, Although Dave... he would in The Good Family. There'd be a, <laughs> another version of that guy. That probably should have just been Dave Herman. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but instead they found they find Dave Herman on the show who goes on... Like, he was an original cast member on Mad TV, and he goes on to become a superstar voice actor in, like, all the shows that we love. Like, that guy has... Some of the most amazing range of anybody uh, in in the industry, I think. Dave Herman is the fucking greatest. Like, and he's Twig Boy looks so much like Michael Bolton from Office Space yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's also in that. So he's like a longtime judge guy, and he also ends up being he's one of those guys. Like, he's always like the fifth guy that doesn't get mentioned when you're like, oh, I love the Futurama voice cast. You know, Billy West. Like, you'd name all the all the guys, but no one ever says Dave Herman when he's mm. like every other character that's not one of those main five people. That's right. The entire cast of King of the Hills four main characters is in office space, except for uh, Johnny Hardwick. I don't think who he is in office space. No, or maybe he's like in the so. background somewhere, but Mike Judge, Stephen Root, and uh, Dave Herman all in office space playing characters. Although I, Mike Judge is probably not credited, I think. I think this too is like the greatest... <sighs> This is one of the best casts in voice acting casts in TV history, I think. Like, yeah, everybody knew? is so good. I mean, Kathleen yeah. and Jimmy broke out in Sister Act, of mm -hmm. course, but who knew she'd be so great of a voice actor, especially when they give Peggy a lot more energy and give her a very interesting character, especially for a mom on TV. Yeah, she's cast as a totally different character than she would become. And that Stephen Root, who I mainly knew from playing Jimmy James, a kind of one note but hilarious Mr. Burns type character on news radio, he then can be a million different guys on the show yeah. and is so in touch with just the the pure abject sadness of Bill Dotrieve's life. <laughs> he doesn't get a chance to be very sad in this episode, but I've actually been trying to figure out like what Peggy is supposed to be before she becomes who she is. And I mm -hmm. think her character early on is uh, she is naive, but in a different way than Hank, and that she has a lot of conventional wisdom she gets through popular media. Mm. She would say, I heard from this book or I heard from this TV show. So she buys everything at face value, but later she would claim to have invented that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where the turn came. Like, it, yeah, in my opinion, with Fox News, <laughs> that's yes. exactly what yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, one other thing I wanted to say about the show too that I like is that I do like when they cast uh, politically. I like when they cast Hank against oppressive conservative forces in his life. Like he 
Hank, even in this episode, hates Megalomart. He yeah. hates it. He knows that Megalomart is destroying him, even though the Republican Party loves Walmart and big box stores and yeah. he's voting for them. But he knows they're destroying the world. And the show doesn't like Strickland and Strickland Popane, even though Hank loves it more than his father. In the second season finale, he organizes a walkout when he's yes. forced to work at Megalomart. So Hank is a big union guy. <laughs> That's one of the most fun parts where they can point when they point Hank in the direction of the forces actually destroying his life that are not overreaching governmental bodies like Twig Boy in this episode. Uh, well, all right, well, why don't we get into the episode then? So, uh, the first let it be known the first line of the entire series is said by Bill. Mm. Yep, <laughs> yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what it could be. That damn starter motor. You getting good compression? Yeah. I know what's wrong with it. It's a Ford. You know what they say Ford stands for, don't you? It stands for fix it again, Tony. <laughs> You're thinking of a Fiat, Dale. Fix it <laughs> again. I'll tell you what you do, you just take them dang old spark plugs out in that little hole, you just put a little hole around there, just like Bobby Hunter said, it's like it'd go boom, boom, just like that. Well, I wish it were that simple, Boomhauer, but I'll tell you what my truck really needs, leadership. Detroit hadn't felt any real pride since George Bush went to Japan and vomited on their auto executives. Who's ready? Y'all catch a Seinfeld show last night? Yep. Oh, hell, I missed it. I tell you what, you see that part where that old George come in there and talk about tasting his own bourbon, Kramer comes sliding in. Just, I, mean, <laughs> I tell you what, man, them dang old New York boys, <laughs> just a show about nothing. I love Boomhauer as sort of an R2-D2 character and that <laughs> the other characters can understand. And I love all the reactions to what Boomhauer says and that they can understand him and react. <laughs> and it's funny that, again, this feels like a podcast at half speed. I'm getting kind of impatient with these beats between dialogue. I had to keep it all in so people yeah. real, can feel the real pace of that there. But you can actually make out what Boomhauer is saying, which feels odd to me. Like, no, it's got to be so fast that <laughs> you can not You can only make out a few words. But I don't, think, I don't know if we brought this up in that history. I haven't listened to it for a while, but he's actually based on a guy who would call in and complain about Beavis and Butthead. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My family uh, is from, technically from the South. My family's from uh, Maryland and Virginia. So they never like really connected with the Simpsons. Like my grandparents and my parents never really like connected with the Simpsons or a lot of other shows I would watch. But this show they connected with. And I think that scene is like, why? Because they all were like, Oh, that's us. That like they, people saw themselves in the show, and everyone, everyone would always mention Boomhauer when I was a kid. When I would <laughs> talk about watching King of the Hill, every adult would be like, "Oh, I love that Boomhauer guy," and do an impression of him. One of my favorite responses to Boomhauer is in Dogdale Afternoon, one of my favorite episodes in which Dale <laughs> is uh, assumed to be a sniper, and people are trying to talk to him with the police radio, and Boomhauer gets on it. He does his babble, and Dale's like, "You've obviously been coached." <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I was just thinking of that one. Yeah. But also, the uh, usually it's Hank, but once in a while they throw it to someone else. And then the episode where Boomhauer goes to his grandmother to get her wedding That's, ring. I love that. Where they flip it where he does it to 
his grandmother where he doesn't understand what she's saying and then she puts her dentures in and it says the same thing again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love that. And uh, love Brad that. Pitt is his brother, Patch <laughs> Boomhauer. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Great job, too. Man, the, the guests they get on the show that are like often big celebrities to the point that when it's not a big celebrity, you're like, could they just not get someone? Why is Dave Herman <laughs> a new character? All the celebrity guests like Drew Carey, uh, Kathleen Turner, uh, Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, all they're all really good in the one or two. Michael Keaton, they all do oh, such God. a great job in the one or two episodes they're usually in. Yeah, no, they they attracted a lot of really cool guests. It became the cool thing to do, and they yeah, Chris Elliott would be a recurring character on the show oh, too. Yes, yeah. yeah, he's a couple characters. I think this this opening one hundred percent has the feel of a Mike Judge short, like a pre. Beavis and Butthead, Mike Judge Short, from the pacing to the once a mostly static shot of yeah. just the four guys. It feels like it could have existed mm-hmm. as a standalone short. You're totally right about mm-hmm. that. Which I, I wonder if that is how, well, he, he sort of had been thinking about it the whole time. He drew a drawing of those. The show started with a drawing of those four guys, not the family. And then like, the uh, the pitch was, oh, Mr. Batoyan, you know, yes, like yeah. the, uh, the Hank, <laughs> Hank Hill pitch to that guy who canceled the critic. Uh, but yeah, just them staring at a pickup truck and drinking beer and that just the indulgence the indulgence of they all drink their beers they are silent for a few seconds and they actually just show Hank walk off screen yeah. to get more beer and then hand them to everybody it's, it's never that slow again to be fair but the yup 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 uh huh that is the slowest one of those, and that is like a recurring sort of like uh, refrain in the show. I love it's how a real slow place it is. setting. It's a real like this is as slow as we'll ever get to make mm. you feel better about how slow it is later. Yeah. Well, and also if you if you just came from The Simpsons, here's how the show is. Like, are you on board or not? Because this is how slow we're going in Texas. You go from Good Morning Starshine to this, <laughs> uh, and the. That fiat joke also is about as racist as Dale gets because yeah. you definitely there's overall there is a fear of foreign cars, which I guess is I think that still exists now. But but Ford stands for fix or repair daily. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess the in Tony in that is the implied of uh, mechanic you know is named Tony. Yeah, I for suppose. an Italian car. Yeah. But the uh, apparently in 2014, Fiat actually did their own ad campaign for that traded on the fix it again Tony label. <laughs> Those, was Tony a hunk? Well, he, I think he was, but the real message of it was that the fix it again is fixing a lesser car and turning it into oh, a Fiat. They're taking it back. That's how they're owning the narrative on mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> Take it back, as one of the shows would say. Uh, and though, yeah, it, it should be noted too that it was not, as we said in Two Bad Neighbors, H.W. Bush does not vomit on Japanese car executives. It was politicians he was vomiting on. Mr. Rem- uh, records from that era are spotty at best. Well, that's how Hank wants to remember it because yeah. he's like, finally, some <laughs> some Republican took it upon themselves to get back at the Japanese. He weaponized his vomit against the car executives. <laughs> Well, the, but uh, I always think of the SNL sketch of that of just oh, repeatedly God. playing Dana Carvey throwing up. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was pretty good. That was though I I, I am sensitive to vomit jokes it, to a bit much, but the I do think it it's a real good. It does capture that these guys don't like foreign cars, and it is a kind of just light jingoism that the kind that is appeal that is appealed to in Trumpism as well. But it just gets more um, loudspeakery in that way. It also feels like a very metatextual moment of saying a show about nothing because 
that's what they're saying about this show. Like, yeah, they, yeah. This is a show can, about nothing. Can you, can you believe you're watching four guys stand around and look at a car? <laughs> this is actually a show about nothing. So, also, Seinfeld was never a show about nothing. I hate when people say that. Tons of shit happens. Yeah. Too many things happen in that show. There's so many plots. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, that shows you how effective they were as writers on Seinfeld, that within the show, they called the show a show about nothing. And so everybody's like, well, I guess that's what the show is. Like, no, no it's the show with 18 subplots. That's what the show is. And then we get the great theme song. Uh, by the Refreshments, who yes. broke up right after this. Uh, they were poised to be big country rock superstars. Wow. And uh, I think they do a little more music later in this season. I think the montage in this episode is their music. I believe so. Where Bobby's yeah. acting out. But yeah, they broke up right after this. The, the music is great. And it really does set the tone. And it makes it like... This is an America that doesn't get cartoon shows made about them. And, you know, I it's the banality of suburban existence is just so well captured here. I don't know about you guys, but I never skip the opening. It puts me in a really good mood every time oh, I yeah. see it. And it's so short, but it's just uh, such a great little ditty that really evokes the, the tone of the show. Yeah, and it's quick enough. And mm. uh, and they do, they reorchestrate it later and they add some layers to it, like the, the bell and stuff. Does yeah. that... The bell so comes is in... Not, is that not recorded by the refreshments the bell they... signifies the season finale when there's a bell on like hooting mm. that's the season finale version of the song okay yeah i the intro too it just so puts you in the world of it of just showing that like here are these slow guys and the world goes all around them and they just keep they just keep on living and also that you see like hank gets in an american gothic yes. pose with his very lame family <laughs> I, I knew i recognized that before but only upon thinking about this for a podcast i'm like oh yeah that's an american gothic joke i just told i just i've seen it a billion <laughs> times and it just washed right over me yeah and the world does it spinning. bother you when the camera spins around his head and it and it settles onto it being a logo his t-shirt turns into the the like blue shirt that he wears to work to give him a collar it to is make his the blue work shirt it's yeah true. he yeah. kind of morphs like black or white michael jackson video style into a work <laughs> shirt <laughs> he does it it's weird because it's it's clearly because like they didn't like how just the head floating in that circle looks so they needed to give it a little bit of form down there but it's it's odd to me that it changes in the intro i just like when he blinks at the <laughs> dun dun he blinks uh so then we get our we're right back from the opening we get a truly iconic moment in King of the Hill in the first episode. Like, yeah. that's something, too. In the first season of Simpsons, if we're comparing the two, is there really a scene that gets memed all that much now or that memorable from the first 13 episodes of Simpsons? Anything <laughs> on the level of toilets? It's now. all toilets. Uh, yeah. Also, <laughs> uh, setting up very early, just like all the Harvard writers on the show, Bobby is a femi comedy nerd yeah. <laughs> who loves weird comedy stuff. And it happens, like, I forgot that it was baked into the show this early. I'm sure... All the Harvard guys grew up being this uh, little fail son. Yeah, the, Greg Daniels was this guy trying to probably telling in the extras. Greg Daniels talks about how his dad was a guy from rural Massachusetts who was raising these kids in urban New York. And he probably for him, it was his son probably talking about like Bob Newhart records or something. Yeah. That <laughs> or make Spike no Jones sense. or something. Yeah, or Spike Jones. Alan Sherman. Yeah, later on, Bobby does the the sound effects thing from Police Academy, which is basically later on, he'd be doing it just like a lot louder and, and probably for longer. <laughs> uh, but yes, here's the here's our first appearance of Bobby and Lou Ian. What you listening to, son? I don't think you like it. Well, why not? I like this new generation of music. <laughs> Mother of God, it's all toilet sounds. 
Where did you record this? I bought it at the mall. It's the funny phone jerks. Let me tell you, Bobby, there's nothing funny about these sounds. What that person on your tape has is a medical disorder. Now you get ready for the game, okay? Yes, sir. That boy ain't right. Oh, there we go. <gasps> oh, God! Luann, I thought you went home. No, Uncle Hank. Mom and Daddy are still fighting. Well, you're welcome to stay, but for God's sakes, girl, lock the door. I've got a minor son living in this house. My favorite jokes in the show are the ones about Hank being naive, and I just mm-hmm. love how he takes this uh, Jerky Boys parody at face value. He's like, this is a serious <laughs> medical condition. And that he thinks his son recorded it because yeah. no person could sell this. That would be illegal. I just And also how crude their parody of the Jerky Boys is. It's just yeah. someone picking up the phone and a fart noise. Uh, just this confused old lady and yeah. then an immediate fart. Like... I, I, for as racist and uh, not funny as Jerky Boys were, there were at least characters. Yes. Like the Egyptian magician. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, Luann is a little different, too. She's like, she's the only one who actually talks faster than she would later. Yeah. Because they just kind of dumbify her over time. But she also is like, she's kind of a gearhead in this episode. Like, she fixes a part of Hank's truck. I really... Like later on, if she touched his truck without his permission, he would lose his mind. I really like that about her in that... The, there's like a through line with the truck throughout the entire episode and she is the one who fixes it at the mm-hmm. end and she immediately knows what the problem is but throughout the entire episode they're all looking at the truck everyone's tinkering with the truck but Luann is the one who actually fixes it it gives mm-hmm. you a real worth to Lu- Luann that's easy to underestimate because she is uh, I mean it, at face value in this scene she she she's supposed to represent the real redneck uh, white trash that yeah. Hank isn't and especially her talking about the trailer park and mama and daddy fighting like that's a very <laughs> it's a very hick thing and it's to show you that Hank isn't that and it's also is a very t- telling character moment for Hank that you know other characters on a show they would have been like ooh a sexy girl in her uh, like uh, a, but this young woman in her towel Discuss Hank, or he's just like it's so improper. He has to turn away. He can't even look at her bare shoulders. Even if it wasn't a relative, he is repulsed by sexuality. Oh, very much. Outside so. of Peggy, oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> and I even- also feel like uh, speaking of her touching the truck. In this episode, two people touch the truck without permission, which I feel like later would not happen because oh, no. especially the other guys are like terrified of Hank. Sometimes <laughs> they they do run away every time yeah. they mess with the truck and it doesn't work. Yeah. Hank, Hank in his truck is one of my favorite episodes. The one where his truck is dying. Yeah. He's he's crying. uh, When he, that is one of the like real, there's multiple moments in the show that actually make it harder for me to watch because they remind me too much of, I was definitely Bobby and my dad was Hank Hill, except he didn't love me. But the, but the bit. Sorry to laugh at your pain, Henry. But no, no, that was, uh, that was a joke. Uh, But anyway, when they go to that movie, and this, the father only starts crying seeing this movie and never shows emotions otherwise. Like, that was so real to me. And especially the the mother saying, like, well, no, this is about your relationship with your son. And he's just like, no, it isn't. It's like, about me and my truck. <laughs> you see, I poked myself with a straw. <laughs> oh, if we do Talking of the Hill, the miniseries for the Patreon, we have to do that episode. It's one of my favorites. Too. Yeah, I, I think that should be on there. I that also- episode is example of like what an amazing voice actor Mike Judge is because he does these sort of cartoonish voices that are like imitations of uh, these broad generalizations of types of people but like 
bring such heart to them and you believe it that like when hank is crying and he's literally going yeah. like you feel it it feels like he's really crying even though he's making the silliest sounds yeah i mean the speech at the end of this episode is great i feel like there's some ad-libs in there too because for the beavis and butthead music video segments he would be doing a lot of ad-libs in the booth and being like mm-hmm. fed lines by writers but he's good at ad-libbing he's he's yeah. an amazing voice actor yeah i mean to the bobby stuff in this is just so easy to identify with when i was a heavy set kid of a guy of a father who wanted me to be a little league kid playing kid who also was named Hank. Not, also named Tank, yes. <laughs> uh, oh boy. And uh and I especially identified with the just that line there where Bobby Bobby's just enjoying his stupid comedy thing. He but he knows his dad won't like it. And then when his dad's like, now it's time to put away your dumb comedy thing and go play baseball. And just Bobby's like, all right. <laughs> like he doesn't the last thing in the world he wants to do is be active. <laughs> so then we get the first scene with Peggy, which yeah, I think you're right. She is not fully formed. The Peggy here is definitely a more coddling uh mother who like is very comforting and understanding to Bobby so, yeah. to to, can't, to Hank's chagrin a lot of the time. I think the jokes here are, and for the first season, are mainly, look how Peggy raises Bobby. It's very different than Hank, and Hank is worried about Peggy feminizing Bobby. Mm-hmm. A very a very real father fear. But, uh, but here's Peggy's first scene. So you ready to kick some wildcat butt, Bobby? Okay. Nah, don't you worry, son. You just do your best. Don't listen to her, Bobby. (laughs) If you want to win, you're going to have to do better than your best. How do I do that? You got to give 110%. That's what'll give you that winning edge. But what if the Wildcats give 110% too? Well, then you got to try even harder. How about if Bobby gave 112%? Uh, sure, that'd work. (laughs) Or maybe 113 Yeah, yeah, that's even better. Mm, No, I I don't know. 13 is a very unlucky number. Look, we're not talking about 13. We're talking about 113, and even... Okay, give 112. What's the difference? I punched up Peggy's joke a little bit to be modern Peggy, and I think she would have been saying... So the original line is, I don't know, 13 is a very unlucky number. Mm -hmm. I think a modern Peggy would be like, I have heard that 13 is a very unlucky number, or in my opinion, opinion. 13 is a... Like, I feel like that is what the modern Peggy would be. That's the only thing that's missing in this episode for me is that I love modern Peggy. She's like one of my favorite characters on a TV show. So I just want her to be a little more self-centered and a little more... Uh, the speed I want her to be. Greg Daniels on the commentary for the episode mentions that the animators make her look better every season. And he yeah. kind of likes how just plain and because Hank's a plain guy, he should have a plain wife. And it makes it even funnier when Hank talks about how pretty he thinks she is. And everybody's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he compares her to a yeah, truck. The, the design documents for the characters uh, are really interesting. And Peggy's it specifically points out like, this is the good posture. This is the bad posture. Keep the bad posture. And it shows in the doc, like, this is how easy it is to make her look pretty. Don't make her look pretty. Make mm-hmm. her look normal. Which is just, it's not about, I, 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 they, it could be so dangerous to veer into like, you're making fun of a woman's looks and that's shitty. But it is that everybody in this world is plain, that even the like, 
uh, Dale's wife is supposed to be hot, but even she isn't a particularly super attractive woman. Like, insane with... She's like middle-aged weather lady hot. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. John Redcord, now that's a foxy man. He's a big slice of man. <laughs> uh, but I love the reveal of Joseph in this episode. It's so funny and well done. You've... Such a joke that's so tired, but they get mileage out of it for 14 years, and the way it's introduced is just so funny because it's like... You get the joke, oh, she's cheating on him. And then there's like a full minute before he's like, Joseph, come in here. And then Joseph comes in and looks like John Redcorn. <laughs> yeah, just the reveal, like, hi, Dad. And like walking in, it, you forget it is. it, it was a, just a huge gut laugh. And then they have to commit to that character in the aftermath of that joke. Okay, so yep. we made the joke. Now he is a character who exists in this world. <laughs> uh, so... Now we get, uh, Hank is correct that 113 is a different number than 13. I I like that point there. But I can so identify with Bobby. Bobby is a clever-ish kid who is just trying to get out of doing physical activity. He simply doesn't want to play baseball. So anytime his dad's like, well, you have to play baseball. He's like, but what if I didn't? Like, no, you have to. And like this bit here, the lawyer ball joke is one of my favorites of the whole episode. Bobby, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, and you can't get on base without taking a swing. The pitcher could walk me, couldn't he? Don't play lawyer ball, son. <laughs> now you hit the next one out of the park. Run! <laughs> Run! Run! <laughs> Look at the batter, boy. Watch the ball. Huh? What? Hey, don't look at me. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep my eye on the what? Stop looking at me, boy. Watch the ball. Can't hear you, Dad. (laughs) (sighs) If you were watching Fox in early... 1997, you've seen that clip a billion and a half times. <laughs> I think they only showed all the physical humor bits in this episode to yep. advertise it, like Hank falling in the truck, Bobby <laughs> being hit with the ball. It was the real, you know, man fall down funny show for Fox. <laughs> People are really going to tune into that. It's a real ow my balls, actually, yeah. if we're going to talk Mike Judge stuff. Him getting hit in the face with the ball is very funny, like active, too. And, and I like Hank just shaking his head at Peggy is right. I agree with Peggy cheering on her son, even if if he doesn't take a swing at the bat. But the way Hank just goes like, oh, he's yeah. he's mad that she's encouraging him no matter what. We, he's like, no, I only want to encourage him to do the good things that I want him to do instead of blanket approval, which I do feel like that is an opinion of Mike Judge, too, that children don't need blanket approval on everything. I do think Judge and Daniels, too, were way ahead of the curve of making fun of big box retailers. Like, Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, obviously, I was a teenager at this time. I was not reading a lot of leftist critiques of capitalism but this is one of the first times i noticed like oh big corporations are bad it, it wasn't king of the hill and by the way megalomart is probably the best like name joke sign mm-hmm. name joke it is so subtle that it just hits me every time like oh yeah megalomart like megalomaniacal yes, yeah <laughs> it's almost too much of a joke because i i think about that because you know when you listen to the simpsons commentaries or whatever they talk about how they would agonize over every single name you'd see in a thing or bob's burgers even more so or bob's Burgers, like every name of every business is a joke. And on King of the Hill, when you see a business in the background or they go to one, it's either a real Texas 
this thing like jeans west uh or it's like goes so far out of its way to not be a joke that you feel like you wasted your time looking at it mm. and i like that there's no villain of megalomar just a giant corporate presence <laughs> that's in everyone's life it just exists and does these things yeah and that uh, this is the show being way ahead of most of Holly of the Hollywood writers of things, recognizing that Walmart is the center of an American town or a target. Like that's, if you lived in a suburban Southern town, like that's what else were you going to do? It's open 24 hours. All other commerce has been killed by this thing. So here it is. And when they stop there, Hank hates it for minute one. He hates that place. And it's so great. And that also that in the scene here, I'm about to play, you get to see Buckley for the first time, even though you don't know it's Buckley. <laughs> I love that they killed Buckley when they realized like, we can't do anything else with Buckley. He is just a bad, <laughs> like he is your first bad teenage boyfriend, which I'm surprised there are no women writers on the staff. Cause I feel like it's very observational. Oh, there was, there was uh, Cheryl. Oh, Cheryl, oh, Cheryl Holiday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, do you remember like the summer where they tried to do, uh, who shot Mr. Burns again, but with what turned out to be Buckley. Yeah, there were a ton of great two-parters <laughs> with uh, King of the Hill, two-parter cliffhangers. I think just two, but then they did the Japan thing too. Yeah, no, the Megalo. Oh, this one they did a like when you would buy TV Guide, you'd get a trading card of each of the characters <laughs> and guess who would be di- who would die but when just, they came back for the next season. It would have been funny if they had killed Chuck Mangione. That would <laughs> in their world, <laughs> Chuck Mangione. One of them, yeah. <laughs> if he had exploded in in the world of King of the Hill, that would have been. Uh, there was who blew, who exploded, who shot that. Uh, Strickland's girlfriend Debbie Grund and yeah. also the uh, did Peggy just die the skydiving in, in one skydiving yeah, yeah. yeah a lot yeah, of great two-parters so Greg Daniels made Parks and Rec right when I was watching the first season, I was like, Chris Pratt's character is Buckley 10 years later. The, oh my the God, first version yeah. of the character who was not lovable, who's like the shittiest boyfriend who plays rock band after you fall in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. yeah, he's, and that's, though that was the turn. They stick with all these characters basically unchanged for King of the Hill, but in Parks and Rec, they're like, this this meanness and badness doesn't work as much for Parks and Rec. So instead, they turn the other way that just, no, just about everybody's really good at their jobs and it's just a company of equals which uh it was nice but it's also a very obama era thing that i have trouble going back to now yeah it's a little rough now yeah also did you notice when hank parks at megalomart he doesn't park in a parking space oh no i didn't notice that i didn't notice either he's like in a non-space he just parks like it's like they just drew the background and didn't draw an extra space for him to stay in. Uh, okay so it's an animation error not a joke are we to imagine this is some magic parking space (laughs) uh but yes here's here's the megalomart i hate this place excuse me where's the hardware department where is the hardware department um hmm. what exactly is it you're looking for the hardware department Yeah, but are you looking for, like, a tool or something? What difference does it make? Huh. What difference does it make? (laughs) Okay, I'm looking for a tap and die and some WD-40. Huh. What is it that you're trying to do? I'm trying to buy a tap and die and some WD-40 and get out of this godforsaken store. Uh, and what is a tap and die? Okay, forget it. Let's say I want a hammer. Do you know what a hammer is? That's what I want, a damned hammer. Now, where in the hell would I go? Hey, that's that Hank Hill fellow that lives on the block next to us. He sure has a temper, doesn't he? Sure does. Makes you wonder who gave his boy that black eye. Uh, you're going to have to pay for that, dude. You're fired! 
<laughs> By the way, a tap and die, uh, that's a tool used to create screw threads. Uh, yes, I had to look I didn't that know that up. either. I, <laughs> I do like, so the Simpsons did a lot of dumb teenagers working at jobs and they're in over their heads. But mm-hmm. I think the commentary here and with Megalomart is that these giant corporations just hire dumb teenagers they pay nothing mm-hmm. who don't have to know anything. And you can never yell at the right person because yes. it's just a poor child <laughs> thrown into a giant store. Hank is directing his anger at the wrong person here. Like Buckley, I mean, Buckley is frustrating in this case, but he's not mad at the things that create a Buckley or put Buckley in this position. Though, I mean, the questions Buckley is made to ask are so great too, because it's more frustrating than just a, a squeaky voice teen who is dumb. It's also his questions to Hank are framed as like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. I need, oh, do you think, what are you looking for? If you think you need the hardware section, it could be in a different section. So you need to tell me what you're looking for. It's like, no, I know where this is, not you. That is that is the frustration Hank is feeling at that moment. Mm-hmm. It's so very specific and great. And just his, hmm, a hammer. Like, <laughs> he's, he's got do you know what a hammer is? <laughs> Uh, and unlike Buckley, those gossiping ladies never really came back. And like two of them are voiced by Kathy and Jimmy. That yeah, we see. it's very distracting. It's just Kathy and Jimmy, Pamela Adlin, and um, Joan something. The the woman who does uh, Nancy. Gro- Nancy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then we cut to Twig Boy. This is another like. Uh, are we to expect this is some kind of magic Twig Boy? Uh, well, no. It's the it's called Arlen County on there when it is Heimlich, Heimlich. County. Right. So, yeah. It's just they hadn't figured out Heimlich yet. I wish they would have named this character. Did they name him at all? It's Anthony. Anthony. It's Anthony. Oh, you're right. It doesn't come up that often. He would come back a couple times, but basically. They, uh, he would come back in two other episodes. One where he doesn't even remember Hank, and it's, he's used weirdly. But I think too, it's odd that like so they have him as Twig Boy, but they also have Useless, the, yeah. <laughs> which he kind of just inherits all the Twig Boy jokes, except he's a Texas native. Yeah, and he's just what the sad liberal dad with the droopy mustache. <laughs> yes, but they yeah. eventually got stopped using him completely i love how mean they are to useless it lets you know that they're uh and i mean eustace but uh, it lets you know that these you're watching guys who were the bullies in high school they are bad people or they used to be bad people i do like the double carpal tunnel syndrome bracelets (laughs) on that guy "Eh." yeah just is wussy what a what you are really supposed to hate Anthony. it's a little too extreme like i mean (laughs) i get it he sucks but i the one joke i think is too on those like thanks for the latte kenneth (laughs) that's the joke that he drinks a latte just like like, ah come on she doesn't drink those now they're delicious more than any stereotyped redneck i it does feel almost like a a response to when you see the stereotypical redneck on these other shows that don't play take place in texas yeah he is the inverse of that of the hyper stereotypical touchy pc liberal from los angeles los angeles (laughs) (laughs) and and i think too in twig boy there is a bit of the anti-government sentiment too that he is an overreaching over-controlling bureaucrat inserting himself into regular people's lives which i feel like social workers have no free time to do anything that anthony does yeah and it is very much the inverse in reality of what people imagine a twig boy does in real life at the same time though his boss is like a good old boy oh, yeah. so they're not trying to say you know all social workers are bad just this guy who's overreaching <laughs> the good old boy's the good guy he gives, they gives the he gives the dad the chance you know <laughs> yes Hank really takes to calling him Twig Boy and calls him that a lot and never calls anyone else that again 
but Cotton does call somebody that in a much later episode. And I wonder if that's like, I don't think it's an intentional callback, but I wonder if some writer was like, uh, oh, maybe we'll throw that in there to say that he got from him or something. <laughs> uh, and so then we cut back and we get, we got a little Dale in the opening, but now it's time for Dale's to really find out what makes Dale tick. <laughs> hey, I know what's wrong with your truck. It's your quote unquote pollution controls. I heard on talk radio, you don't even need them. They're just neg-hit government plot. How is cutting down on pollution a government plot, Dale? Open up your eyes, man. They're trying to control global warming. Get it? Global. So what? That's code for UN commissars telling Americans what temperature it's going to be in our outdoors. I say let the world warm up. See what Boutros Boutros golly golly thinks about that. We'll grow oranges in Alaska. Dale, you giblet head. We live in Texas. It's already 110 in the summer, and if it gets one degree hotter, I'm going to kick your ass. That's how much the window has shifted that a conservative TV character not only believes in global warming, but wants to beat up people who are spreading lies about it. Yes, yeah. That's, uh, that is to show that Hank isn't that guy. Yeah. It's like, see, Hank's not as bad as this guy. And uh, this this is a real window into what it was then, the talk radio Fox News uh, InfoWars viewer. And I bet Dale was listening to Alex Jones when he was in Texas at this yes, time, right? Yeah, which they're making fun of talk radio and, oh, wait. What's this on my computer here? Hello, this is Hank Hill, and I'm telling you what, you need to listen to Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Infoworth.com. <Yeah. clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> Judge, what is the secret of the universe? <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> the, yes, Mike Judge in 2013 did an interview on InfoWars, which it's easy to say that five years ago people didn't know as much about InfoWars, but I have to wonder at, Alec, at uh, Mike Judge choosing to do a thing with on uh, InfoWars. I forgot about that. I mean, recently I heard that uh, Mike Judge was liking Ben Shapiro tweets, and I was mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't want to know anything more. I will not. I will choose not to investigate this. Let's not dig any I was deeper. Not aware of this at all. I just know, but I'm working with John Kay. Yeah, yeah, they yep, have a weird yeah. uh, boy. Yep. Yeah, it's not cool that just so J- Hank Hill and George Licker have existed together in the same world. <laughs> yeah, it's from UFC. Yeah. Uh, oh God. There's like but, a weird. Okay, it's. I mean, if you like UFC, it's cool. But there's a weird like libertarian kook, uh, like. T- crossover between UFC people and that uh, side? Like, what's going yes, on there? I'm making yeah. Venn diagrams with my fingers here. <laughs> um, I, as the biggest UFC fan of the people around in this on this podcast, I don't really know. I mean, it definitely is a more separate from corporate fighting because it's just yeah. one guy, and so it lets specific types of dudes show up. It also is about being, like, the complete man. If you're the complete fighter, yeah. the ultimate fighter, it, I guess it has has kind of a libertarian determinism to it too and there are definitely some very conservative figures in it but there also are like there are some hardcore lefties in the uh, ufc as well like to the left of obama and tons of stuff too but joe rogan is still the voice of the ufc too Jeez. that is very real i call him pink shrek <laughs> he looks like a pink shrek <laughs> uh well he it's not uh, i hope you're not saying he would do anything that would change his appearance over time mm. like uh, of course not no uh but yeah, so I did think that was an interesting extra dimension to Dale is a joke here. Being a talk radio kook is a joke and you're supposed to laugh at him. 
But when I see that Mike Judge did InfoWars in 2013, when you should definitely know who Alex Jones is then. I wanted Butthead to weigh in. Like, he's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, you get that. Like, I, And he did a full interview. So if you really want to watch a full interview on Info from InfoWars with Mike Judge, it's out there. But uh, So it just felt weird to me. They're like, So you're making fun of Dale Gribble for being a, a talk, sh- radio, talk radio guy. But... Mike Judge kind of knows this world more than you'd uh, think. I'd like to think that he was more of a fan of Alex when he was just sort of the conspiracy kook back mm-hmm. when government conspiracies were more fun. He was an Art Bell type yeah. at a time, yeah. But then, unfortunately, that's the real problem with laughing at Alex Jones after Obama's out of the White House because then he has to love the government. And so it's just like, oh, it's it's just more boring, I suppose. He always sucked. I don't want to say that. But this takes me back to when people were afraid of the UN having any power and hatred like do you people even know who the secretary general of the UN is right <laughs> now I had to look it up Anthony Guergos or something I can't even remember his name Boutros Boutros Gali was a uh, memorable name that came up it, a lot on Murphy Brown that is true that's just a, it's a funny name like John Sununu who yeah. knows you, you don't need to know politics to know Stephanopoulos <laughs> at the time it was definitely a fear of the UN was going to regulate Christianity away and all this stuff which that came up like, in a snowflake down what a cartoon for uh, yep. Clone High and the but the UN has no power. It can't do shit. Like it couldn't. It couldn't prevent the Iraq War. So what the fuck good is it? Like that's the whole point of the UN. <laughs> the UN can't sanction, let's say, apartheid states in the Middle East that uh, that we support as well. Not naming any particular ones. Yeah. So what can the UN? What can the UN even do? Why would you be mad? But climate change denial is as real now as it ever was uh, among the Dale types. So after we get that scene, goes to Bobby uh, throwing his baseball against the wall, making dents in the wall, just like... Some real damage going onto that drywall. <laughs> with just an empty look on his face. Yeah. On the commentary, Greg Daniels says that Bobby is so slow in this compared to later, and that his catchphrase in the first season was, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but he definitely holds on to that. I like the okay because like, as Bobby gets uh, more, like wilder and louder and higher pitched... I feel like she always holds on to that as the like centering of Bobby where <laughs> later on, like seasons later, you still like, will hear like if they tell Bobby to do anything, he just goes, okay. And then goes and does it. And it's, I laugh at it every single time, especially when it's like, cause it usually, it means someone tells him to do something and he's a kid. So he has to, when he goes to do it, or if somebody says something stupid that he just has to listen to, cause he's a child, he'll say that like, there are times when Peggy says something completely stupid and he just says, Okay, like just accept because it's his just <laughs> I have to accept this and move on without questioning it. <laughs> and uh, I also like Peggy's reaction to daytime TV is them kind of showing the gullibility of her. Like, oh, that poor man, <laughs> that poor man. Which it, and though that watching TV having a silly reality TV moment like that, that is so Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, like, that's exactly <laughs> the show Beavis and Butthead would see on their TV. If only there was a Brian Gumble joke, then it would be it would be more completely better. <laughs> Mike Judge, one thing he's really good at to co- get back to complimenting him is screaming in pain. Yeah. I love it. So you'll hear a bit of it in this clip here. Blah. Hello, I'm a social worker with the state. Would, would you mind if I talk to you for a minute? Well, sure. Come on in. Damn it. There it is again. Where is that thumping coming from? It's driving me crazy. Could be far off helicopters. 
UN helicopters. <laughs> Dale, what are you doing? Give me some light. Now I, I can't see. Ah, my arm. Ah, my head. Ow. Ah, ah, ow. God, God. <laughs> Mrs. Hill, would you say your husband has a bad temper? Who, Hank? No, Hank is as gentle as a lamb. No more bouncing that ball! Hank, we have a visitor. I feel like Hank shouts more in this episode than he does in the entire series combined. The rest of the entire so series. Too. And just his the sad look on his face yeah. is really good. Just they they Greg Daniels also comments on it that uh, there's a lot more lines on Hank's face in this than you get in any other episode. Especially the lines under his eyes. Yeah. Those got moved away. One of the recurring jokes we missed is uh, Hank saying, I'm going to kick your ass. Oh, which yes. Is a, well, yeah. a minor Hank line he uses a lot. <laughs> I'll well, kick your ass. His kick your ass is how Hank keeps them in line. As yeah. as we'll see later in this episode, they already established that like if the other three guys don't have Hank around, they will just it's chaos immediately. It all falls <laughs> apart. Hank is their leader. <laughs> He's getting interviewed by Twig Boy, and uh, just also I think it's you need to have Peggy let him into the house because Hank would never have let him in. Even it has to be Peggy that does it. And his anger at how much writing comes after the word no is so <laughs> fucking funny. <laughs> and also, I was definitely Bobby as the boy listless, listlessly playing his Game Boy in the background. <laughs> just, just how blank Bobby's face is. You said it in our What a Cartoon, Bob, but Bobby is a millennial. Like he's really, the, yeah, he, he is the millennial child. It's it's perfect, really. Just his, he's just soft. He just wants to play his Game Boy, and he just has a blank look on his face most of the time. I think he came from Mike Judge seeing a kid at like the mall or an airport just blindly, like not blindly, just blankly staring off into space while eating ice cream, like, looking exactly <laughs> like Bobby. <laughs> uh, but so, yes, Hank gets a little interview here. So your assertion, Mr. Hill, is that Bobby got the black eye at his baseball game? That's not my assertion. That's what happened. Have you ever hit your son, Mr. Hill? No. What the heck are you writing? All you gotta write is one word, no! Mr. Hill, I feel that you're coming from an anger mindset. And if you're projecting this anger onto me, it gives me grave concerns as to how you facilitate your son's growth in private. Mister, I have not begun to project my anger onto you. <laughs> Mrs. Hill, how did you get this here on your forehead? Oh, this? Well, Bobby threw his baseball at You the... threw a baseball at your mother? Oh, Hank, it was an accident. So would this be the same baseball that gave Bobby the black eye? Now, think of yourself as Twig Boy. Yeah. It is your job to ju to judge the safety of children in a home. You come here and see this screaming, angry man who almost hits you with a baseball, <laughs> who has a white son with bruises on their face, who's now screaming at you. Twig Boy is not wrong to make these assumptions at the start here. I would have done the same thing. It feels like Hank relies on baseball-based abuse. Exactly. Throwing baseball to people's heads. He's just an uncreative abuser who just says, eh, just say it was a baseball, too, after he hits them. Like, that. that's what the assumption is here. And I feel I would... 
in the real world, I would want a social worker to make the assumptions Twig Boy is making, at least on surface value. His one flaw comes up later in his investigation, which does show he was making too many assumptions based on Redneck City. But in this scene here, I don't think he's doing it wrong. He's doing his job correctly. So then we had to hear a little bit about Peggy and uh, Hank's glands. Do you work outside the home, Mrs. Hill? Well, yes, I do. I'm a substitute Spanish teacher. Los estudiantes son mis amigos. <laughs> and you just have the one son? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, we would have liked to have more kids, but Hank has a narrow urethra. Peggy! In fact, Hank's sperm can That's enough! What in the hell did you tell him that for? Well, he asked me. He asked you how many kids we have. He didn't ask you about my glands. <laughs> I love him. I love hearing him say that. There's a funny joke later in that even Dale knows about the narrow urethra, so you get the idea that Peggy tells everyone who wants to know. Peggy has told everyone a yeah. long time ago about his narrow urethra, which... It's like an interesting fact about Hank, you know? <laughs> is, yes. I mean, it, and it just immediately makes you think of him ejaculating, or maybe yeah. that's just me. But <laughs> <laughs> He's only done it once. Yeah. I I just love that one that the later backstory they will add in is that Lady Bird relaxed him enough to let enough sperm yeah. escape his urethra to create Bobby. <laughs> oh God. Well, that also shows why he's like, it's his, it's his only child. It's why he takes so much pride in Bobby. It's my boy. It's my boy. Well, that's my boy. <laughs> and, and also, like, you do get a little bit of overconfident Peggy in her assertion that she knows Spanish enough to speak it. Yeah. And that clearly everyone around her won't correct her on this because they don't want to be mean. So her just, the, there's so many great episodes out of her Spanish language stuff, too. The, like, actually, everything in this scene would come back to be, like, an ep- more than one episode That's true. Later. Like, every joke is later the premise of an episode. <laughs> at, le- at least one. Like, when she, she became a Spanish teacher, she got arrested in Mexico in one episode, I remember. And there's an entire trial in Spanish where they have to prove that she can't speak Spanish without her knowing. <laughs> That's what the point of it is. To not hurt her feelings. Yeah. God damn. And same and same actually with Bobby's Game Boy leads to uh that's my purse. Yeah. Another yeah. classic. Then we get Hank's stump speech here, which uh is about summing up st- uh, Hank, but also letting you know what the politics of the show are in general, at least his position. Loud is not allowed. Now you listen to me, mister. I work for a living. And I mean real work, not writing down gobbledygook. I provide the people of this community with propane and propane accessories. Oh, when I think of all my hard-earned tax dollars going to pay a bunch of little twig boy bureaucrats like you, it just makes me want to... Oh, God, it just... Hi. Honey, bring me my BC headache powder and a (laughs) glass of water. All right, honey. Now you listen here. You see that boy? That's my boy. And if you ever try to take him away, so help me God, I'll tear you a new one bigger than the Grand Canyon. Now I want you to get out of my house. You're not welcome here. I mean now, before I give you a black eye. Get... 
they would never go this far again. I feel like this is atonal for the show to have a character give a long speech like this with uh, not, music that's not part of the scene, like but like a funny song, like the Battle Hymn of the Republic, a hilarious song about with war. a record scratch, yeah, with, with very cartoony record scratch, with a record scratch. But I do like that uh, the social worker is taking notes during the speech. That's great. Yes. Yeah, it's a great little joke. But I'm glad they never really went that far again to just sort of break the reality that much. I think they definitely felt they needed Hank to make a statement of this is what I'm all about. Like yeah. this is me. And uh, I mean, you can also see a lot of Hank's politics in there too, that he feels like some rather libertarian values of hating government overreach, hating that his tax dollars are paying for a bureaucracy that's torturing him. And also though, that he defines some work is more valid than others. Like he says, not do real work. Like it is, is a very unsocialist message of like, well, all labor has value to Hank. No, what twig boy is doing is not valuable labor. It is lesser than his work. And he should be doing real work that real Americans do. And the way he chases them off though is pretty funny. Like it just, like now get out is that our first ladybird appearance yes yeah that is which yeah. she gets kind of nothing in here she's too active it. in this episode in terms <laughs> of the one time we see her she should be asleep somewhere oh you know she is pretty she holds pretty still in her one other scene where she's photographed on the oh lawn. you're right as, as hank cosplaying as hank <laughs> oh first cosplay in the series i also feel like later on the this whole episode wouldn't happen because i feel like hank screaming at that guy like the town would rally behind him and join him and also yell at that guy. they wouldn't like assume hank is being wrong yeah yeah that would it would be more forces against him uh, or against twig boy i think twig boy a funnier and bobby reenacting this scene is i think the, the funniest i think this episode gets i, I laugh <laughs> yeah. so hard at bobby imitating hank <laughs> and you know he's not much but he's all i got <laughs> uh I, th- I think a better executed version of this kind of a story would happen in an episode called i think it's called the texas skill saw massacre in which hank accidentally cuts off dale's finger <gasps> and he has to go to anger management classes so it's about government overreach not looking at the context of a situation and punishing Mm. Hank but I think everyone is much more sympathetic throughout that episode it's a better version of this kind of story it's one of my favorites uh, one of my favorite episodes as well that's a great episode and the the point of the episode is like anger is good and sometimes people have to be yelled at yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and so then we get maybe the darkest Dale scene ever just because he's like he's not empathetic in any way in this scene this is a very Dale is a horrible person not fun just, uh, just a dick well, <clears throat> Hank's got a lot of problems. Hey, baby, how about a couple of beers? Sorry, should <laughs> gotta go. I got another migraine treatment with John Redcorn. Nancy, you've been going to that healer for 12 years, and you still get headaches every night. Healing process takes time, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Great song choice. Getting back to the Hill family, have you ever seen Hank hit his child, Bobby? Hank? No, sir. Bobby's his pride and joy because of his... Narrow urethra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you absolutely sure? 100%. You can ask my son. He's Bobby's best friend. Joseph! What is it, Daddy? <laughs> you ever seen Hank hit Bobby? Nuh-uh, never. See? Now you can just move along now. It's a much less whimsical <laughs> Dale. 
Yep. I think a modern day would be in the basement with the show turtles. Oh, Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. But instead it's like, hey, baby. Like, yeah. That's just mean. Like, and, that sh- <laughs> and that shows you too, when you see a character do that in front of a stranger, yeah. you're like, boy, what? Do- how does he treat her when a stranger's not But there? he's punished by being cucked. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it shows you that he's a huge loser who his wife has not like touched in years. He got but- what he deserves, ultimately. Uh, yes, yeah. And just him smoking in his easy boy is lazy boy and also his it's so fucking we already said it but god the joseph joke is so funny because walking into the frame and you set up this guy who is so sure of his worldview thanks to talk radio that it's led him to be the stupidest one (laughs) of them all like that (laughs) ignorant of reality that's true yeah i love that i love that that is the joke about dale like he is sure he knows everything except the fact that his wife is cheating on him for 13 years and his son is not his real son (laughs) who looks just like the only native american man in his world yes he looks just god damn uh and yeah, I think the uh, of there is a bit of like when you soften Dale too much, I it makes him a funnier character and it makes for a better show. But I sometimes don't like that it softens your views on a truly bad part of society, which yeah. are racist conspiracy theory nuts like like this guy, like the type of guy Dale represents. That the, to, by softening him, it's kind of like you're doing PR for a bad person which I'm not a fan of that, even though I love Dale, but I'm just saying that's an unfortunate side effect of it. They never really dealt with racism on the show itself, and I'm kind of glad they didn't. Uh, Mm. There's one episode I can think of in that Bernie Mac was the co-star, and that Lady Bird attacked him Oh yeah, he was a repairman, so they were worried that Ladybird was racist. But really, Ladybird would only attack repairmen because <laughs> yes. they were in Hank's domain, and Ladybird could tell how upset they made Hank. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a sweet episode. He uh, also plays multiple characters. Bernie Mac comes back more than once. I mean, I gotta re, I gotta watch some of those later season ones. I need to check that out. But uh, well, speaking of dogs barking though, Boomhauer's got some thoughts on that. I've been calling y'all people better than a month now. Grab back y'all every time a dang old dog crossed these start yapping at y'all 24 hours a day. And nobody answered. You called. How you supposed to come out to do anything about that dog if you're just going to get a dang old computer? Ain't going to come over here and just shut that dang old dog up. <laughs> he just backs away. That's a direct parody of that guy calling MTV <laughs> complaining. But I also, that doesn't happen very much, but I love when a real person or a like quote unquote real world person encounters Boomhauer and has mm-hmm. no idea what to do. Like there's a great episode. Again, we're, I, we're, referencing all these episodes that happened much later but Boomhauer is kind of like a dog to women there's an episode where he actually falls in love and is in love with a woman who sort of does the same thing to him mm. and like when she leaves him she's like sorry I have no idea what you're saying oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the Snipe Hunt episode there's the good gag on that too where he they're trying to keep a secret that they killed this endangered bird yeah and then <laughs> Boomhauer just Tails on them to the cops immediately. Yeah. And the cop doesn't understand. <laughs> they do so much with what could be a one note joke. It's amazing. Like That's, a boomhauer joke feels like a stunt to me. Like, what are they gonna do this time? <laughs> and and I love in that clip too. You can hear the dog barking in the background. That yeah. dog barking is still a problem for him. Good foley. Uh then we get a quick scene with Bobby and Joseph, which when I watched this pilot when it was new, I didn't have tons of years of King of the Hill that I watched for context. So I only thought of it in relationship to Beavis and Butthead. This was the new show from the Beavis and Butthead guy and Bobby and Joseph interacting felt like real Beavis and Butthead goofing on their dad. There's a gray shirt and a blue shirt guy next <gasps> to each other. You're right. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> 
Which one likes Death Rock? Oh, <laughs> Skull. And there's there's also some gags in there in this episode with reddening faces that they kind of yeah. drop that, which they he did that like if you watch office space the first short he did and this happens in beavis and butted too faces red in a lot in other mike judge animation so i think it was just them borrowing that animation style early and they're like eh, it doesn't really work for this world yeah when all the characters have flat colors and shading in this world it just feels off to see just blotches appear on their faces mm-hmm. and also just they're very realistic sad uh, suburban time waster of trying to throw pebbles into the yeah. muffler. I think it's very telling when Bobby repeats things that his dad said, they're not things he said. He's not quoting Hank. He's making up new words, which I think shows you, it gives you insight into what Bobby thinks his dad thinks of him. Mm. He's not much, but he's all I've got. <laughs> Hank didn't say that to Twig Boy. So that's what Bobby really thinks his dad thinks of him. That, that talks to the disappointment he'll mention later. And that also shows that like Bobby doing these funny imitations is him trying to be creative and funny in this, you know, stilting world around him. It's like, it is comedy through adversity, which I think is what the, the crucible that comedy writers are forged in, you know, <laughs> just pain and sadness. And uh, then we come back from that. Hank is offended by a pair of panties. He's just yeah. like, just to see them, the sight of them. And uh, we get Brittany Murphy's best scene in the episode. Good God, Peggy, this was on my road and track. Luann, Luann, honey, can we talk to you? Well, wait, wait, not while I'm here. <laughs> Mama's in jail. She was saving a quart of beer for before bed, and Daddy threw it out, and she went after him with a fork, and the trailer tipped over, and everything went upside down, and it's all going to be on real stories of the highway patrol. And the wig I styled for Beauty Academy is ruined. What am I going to do, Uncle Hank? Uh, uh, there, there. Uh, you can uh, stay with us till your mama comes home, and you'll uh, style a new wig better than before. Uh... I'll let you use my tools. Oh, thanks, Uncle Hank. She has got to go. <laughs> yeah, they set up Luann living there in like 20 seconds. Yep, yeah, she and, just, she has moved in now. This temporary thing is turned permanent. And two episodes come out of that one scene. Oh, yeah. At least two. At uh, least. Like the fork thing is a recurring thing for a long time. The The trailer tipped over. They go to get that trailer. She just, the trailer stays there, but she just assumes because it's tipped over, it's basically destroyed. But then and Hank is very mad to learn that. No, it's just all that happened was it tipped over and we can just, we can just put it back up. <laughs> <laughs> and then a twister changes Hank's plans again and he'll just never be free of Luann, which it's. That is one of my favorite moments in the whole show. The ender and the twister, when the twister has, has like systematically removed all of Hank's clothing until he's totally naked and his two options for covering his genitals are a cactus or the Texas flag. And it takes a while to decide and he picks the cactus. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that joke. And then at the end of the episode, they say, like, he even took his underwear. No. Not his underwear. Like they, they've all. Just, oh, and how the old lady says, like, don't be shy. I've seen a barrel of pickles. <laughs> oh God, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pamela Adlon, uh, who is fantastic in the new movie Bumblebee, by the way, uh, mm. she voices so many characters early on, and I feel like they realize that a lot of those characters, even though they're great performances and still different enough, that just sounds a little too much like Bobby, maybe, and she doesn't voice 
uh, characters other than Bobby after a while, except for like young women who have a lot higher pitch than him. It, it's reminiscent of how Julie Kavner did more incidental voices in the early seasons of Simpsons, and then they yeah, got just her like to that. And uh, R.I.P. Brittany Murphy. Yeah, so good. Uh, at the live reading of a King of the Hill, we saw it was it was a it was a very sad absence of her. But Pamela Adlin does a pretty good Luann. Yeah, if this show were to come back, and I think it can, I think they could recast Luann with Pamela. Yeah, just keep it in the family. She yeah. could do she could do a good Luann. Obviously, it wouldn't be Brittany Murphy. And it felt like they were buds off screen, you know. So yeah, it. They, it, I believe they told the story that it was up if Brittany missed a recording date or was <laughs> late, that it was up to Pamela to pick her up, which. Uh, you know, I think I think Brittany liked the party. Yeah, but, a bit. Uh, but it was. Hey, I, I mean, still love her. <laughs> she briefly became a movie star, and Luann left the show. But then Luann came back and was a major character again oh, after a few right. years. Yeah, I mean, come on, you can fit in recordings in between being a movie star. Can't Not when you? you're in Just Married. Oh God. Oh, that's right. So then we get to see uh, Twig Boy, and yes, yeah, a very a very like low blow about him liking lattes, which, but I mean, and a man named Kenneth. Yes, yeah, that which. But you're supposed to not like this guy. He's a wuss. He's he's a typical Hollywood elitist wuss. That he is specifically a Hollywood L.A. transplant. Let you know how much that you're supposed to hate him in this world. But I think it is important to let you know that by him being from Los Angeles, you're so used to seeing these Hollywood-produced shows where L.A. is this dream space to go to, but... It is realistic that for to show that in a large part of America, being from Los Angeles is a bad thing. <laughs> being from California is a sign of moral failing or it makes you suspect. Like the second you say, I'm from California, people are like, hmm, California, eh? <laughs> I've talked about it on other podcasts, but I've been flying a lot in the past few years just to do panels and to do podcast stuff. And whenever I'm flying back to California, I'm at a bar. People are terrified to go to California. They, they hate it. They're afraid of it. They're disgusted. Just like, it's a big, there's lots happening. There's a lot happening in the state. I haven't lived in real America for 13 years because California rules. That That's my feel. I mean, when it's not on fire, it's, it's the best. <laughs> the parts that aren't on fire are the best. <laughs> go there. Uh, but yes, here's, here's, Twig boys come up and see her. Thanks for the latte, Kenneth. <laughs> Anthony, could I see you a minute? So on this Hill family case, you couldn't confirm any actual abuse, but you still recommended the state take custody? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, the whole neighborhood was Redneck City. Did, did you see in the report how he dented my geo? <laughs> Redneck City. Mm-hmm. That's pretty funny. Where are you from, son? Los Angeles. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's see here. Hit by baseball. <laughs> so, uh, how did you like old Harvey? Who's Harvey? Oh, he's a little league coach. You did talk to the little league coach, didn't you? <laughs> so that is Gaylord Sartain, who we heard on uh, the last few episodes ago, the Simpsons spinoff showcase. He was playing Big Daddy. Charles Daddy. Charles <laughs> yeah. Daddy. Uh, also, we mentioned on that episode that he was an earnest character. Uh, mm. He was Chuck in Chuck and Bobby, and Bobby was the mute, weird uh, younger brother. I think they're supposed to be twin brothers. And I actually, <laughs> I found out through research that uh, Chuck and Bobby and Ernest were all part of the same advertising um, organization. Oh. So they were also characters advertising everything for anyone who wanted 
wanted them to advertise. Wow, they have been working with Ernest that early. Yeah, huh? man. I mean, uh, we already said it on Spinoff Showcase, but I do love Gaylord's voice. Like, it's great. It's it is very authentic. Like because that is where he's from, and it's shocked. It shocked me to find out he this is the only King of the Hill he ever appears in. Like, I think it's because. Mike Judge did not want to voice Hank initially, mm. and they were at, they were auditioning a lot of people, and Gaylord was one of the people who auditioned to be Hank. I see, and um, it would have been it would have been wrong for anybody but Mike Judge to be Hank. Yeah, I love the way that Dave Herman says Los Angeles. It just has a little like Los extra Los Angeles. Like, yeah, just, I'm probably going to be saying it that way from now on. <laughs> this place I live in. Yeah. You're one of those Los Angeles sissy boys now, Matt. <laughs> yep. Well, we live near San Francisco, so it's only fair. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, and you're and you're in Berkeley, which is just as bad. You SJW. Oh god, yeah. The People's Republic of Berkeley. The well, <laughs> so that's another problem I have in this episode, though. That uh, I the character of the case manager is presented as a good man who does good things. And he's just making sure that this case twig boy did a bad job. He should have checked with the little league coach that a baseball did or did not hit Bobby, which would give Hank an alibi. But so that's true. But part of me, it's just me, but part of me feels like that case manager is covered for a lot of Hank Hills in his <laughs> yeah. time. Just like, well, can you be sure? Can you be sure? I feel like he's questioned a lot of things like that. He is a good old boy, it seems <laughs> like, especially with Gaylard's voice. Or a Bubba, as Mike Judge refers to oh, those types yeah. of guys in describing making the show. The total just rejection of Dave Herman. Well, in the way Dave Herman, it's very real the way Twig Boy says it's Redneck City. He's used to saying that yeah. to receptive audiences to the idea of Redneck <laughs> City. He didn't read the room correctly to tell this guy. I like the response, like, Redneck City. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Where are you from again? <laughs> and uh, then we get Bobby destroying a stop sign, which is a very Beavis thing to do. It really is. <laughs> yeah, he's just, like, drilling on Like, he stole it from somewhere. Super illegal. And brought it into the driveway and is just, like, drilling on it. And he's hitting a drill. A power drill with a hammer, right? Yep, so ruining his power drill as well. It's like Homer fixing Marge's camera. It's actually the same <laughs> in uh, Lisa's Rival. Though then we get kind of the message that, well, if you were to follow Twig Boy suggestions on how to interact with your child, it leads to them being a hellion who's controlling you. Yeah. And I don't think that's i'm not a parent i can't say but i don't think that is reality honestly the worst parts of this episode are the very dated uh making fun of touchy-feely therapy talk which the simpsons did in uh bart's inner child yep uh, yeah. three or four mm -hmm. years ago but i i just think those were funny but whenever i hear those again like you've activated my shame spiral or <laughs> any of the things they're doing in this i mean yeah they're they're silly sounding but they just feel so dated i mean it's a 22 year old episode so now yes. that like everyone is in therapy if, if you can yeah. afford it everyone's in therapy so it's a much different world it's the same thing with like sushi or being a vegetarian like these things that were weird to us at one point and now it's just like yeah, I go to the corner and get like $4 sushi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then again, that could be just California ruining us from being real Americans, guys. You know, I get my uh, yeah, CBD I mean, milkshakes. I'm saying this all for my liberal <laughs> bubble. I don't understand anything about how the, the flyover states work. You should hang around some racists, then you'd be, then you'd get um, centered correctly, guys. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> uh, I also think Bobby being yelled at for destroying a stop sign is exactly what Tom Anderson has done to Beavis and Butthead yes. in episodes of the show. You're quoting that like that's the most 
Tom Anderson moment of the episode, like, you're quoting that at me? <laughs> and his head, like, shakes in the Tom Anderson manner, too. And uh, then Bobby gets the information that the investigation has been called off, which he hides from Hank, which shows you that Bobby is not just a stupid child. He's he can he's clever enough to know he wants to keep this advantage over his parent. It was very weird uh, to go back to Beavis and Butthead in the very, very brief window of time in which Tom Anderson and Hank Hill existed concurrently. <laughs> it was only a few months, but they both existed as, right. Hank, as uh, Mike Judge characters. So <laughs> it was very strange. Then we get a brief scene that shows you that Luann has value. She's not just this ditz who goes to beauty school that she could. But that's her problem is that I think Luann, this early version of Luann lives in a world where she sees no upward mobility that her mom and dad are just trash and that she feels like trash. And that when she actually has incredible mechanical skills, she just doesn't even think of them as, as real or yeah, useful or a, a career she could have even. Yeah. Yeah. She thinks she's supposed to go to beauty school. That's the best she can do. And so, yeah, then Bobby gets to, to messing around with Hank quite a bit here. the heck don't you see i'm working here close the dang door uh, uh, bob just keep put stop stop hitting that button give me that thing dad that's not respectful adult child growth dialogue i'll give you dialogue <laughs> that's not coming from a center of anger please return the garage door to its factory preset down position <laughs> that is cool <laughs> And that's just them laughing together, Beavis and Butthead style. It's getting this guy. Joseph eventually becomes Butthead, though. Yes, yeah. Later in the series, when he goes through puberty, he becomes a Butthead uh, or Beavis character. Oh, I don't know. I'm not ready. <laughs> but he's just so... Uh, that's one of the few great voice actors on the show is not present in the early seasons is uh, Brecken Meyer as... Joseph as puberty Joseph, who's just sexually frustrated and confused at all times. He's got a real anxious Kirk Van Houten before he starts talking too. <laughs> yeah, and we get a little montage of them messing with Hank, where and he's wearing a brown shirt that he very rarely wears. Lady Bird in Hank's clothes, pretty funny. I do like, and they're just laughing at him. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, then we get Bobby gets exposed uh, once uh, once the once the guy returns to Redneck City to explain things. What on God's green earth are you making those noises for? They're sound effects. Like that guy in Police Academy. That's what I'm going to do when I grow up. I decided. And Dad can't say boo about it. Bobby, a man from the Child Protective Services just came by. Now, he said that he told you last week that this investigation was off. Oh... Please don't tell Dad. <laughs> well, son, I have to. He's been worried. But I like him better this way. How come? I can make him love me even when I screw up. <laughs> Is that what you think? Oh, uh, that's a little too sentimental uh, for Bobby to say. Uh, well, Greg Daniels on the commentary says, oh, that's a little too on the nose. I wish we would have rewritten that line. Well, uh -huh. yeah, it's it's too in touch with his emotions and understanding yeah. them, I suppose. Characters well, shouldn't say what they're feeling. That makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, they but they do need this emotional shift because otherwise... Bobby's just doing this for the obvious reasons of, well, it's fun to torture my dad because he normally has power over me. Like, that's that's really as, what it feels like. I mean, it. as treacly as that line is, it does get to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, 
I I said it before. I'm a soft boy with father issues, <laughs> and so this fear was definitely mine as well. I didn't have the happy ending in this episode, but it was this this feeling of just like, well, yeah, he, I'm a disappointment to him, so I better I gotta at least make him. I gotta force him to love me if he's always disappointed in me. Like, mm-hmm. ouch! Like that hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but I do love how Hank is uh, upset to hear that's what Bobby thinks later yeah. in this next scene. That's good too. That they do think the PC babble stuff is bad, but that Hank does need to be more in touch with his emotions, as we see in this. Scene. <laughs> so great. It's hard, Peggy. I don't want to lose my little boy, my only oh. son. But oh, it's hard. Well, you can relax. The investigation has been off for a week, only Bobby didn't tell us. I'll kill him! All right, calm down, honey. Now let me explain. He didn't do it to be mean. Bobby honestly doesn't think that you love him all the time. That's crazy. Of course I love him. Very good. Now, say it to Bobby. What are you talking about? I want you to tell Bobby that your love for him is unconditional. I can't say that. I can't. You know how I was raised, <laughs> what my father's like. I got my shins blown off by a Japan man's machine gun. <laughs> so don't come crying to me with your problems. Honey, I am begging you. For the sake of this family, you have got to do it. He's waiting for you out on the porch. Oh, jeez. <laughs> twig boy comes over here and gets... We get a nice little sliver of both Cotton Hill and John Redcorn. They're working in as many characters as possible in this episode. Love that. Yeah. I completely forgot Cotton was in this episode. And as a first-time viewer, you're like, that wacky character, we'll never see him again. Like, what is this? <laughs> Who even is that? It's a while where you only see Cotton in flashbacks. Yeah. Like, he doesn't yeah. show up for a good while. And I love with him, yeah, the Cotton, you see the Cotton is horrible to everyone but Bobby. Yeah. Somebody who you think he'd be mean <laughs> to, like, the show often is about surprising you on your assumptions. And one of them is like, well, this guy who was so cruel to Hank when Hank was a good son will be really cruel to this soft little boy. Instead, he just loves, loves Bobby unconditionally, which which only makes his cruelty to Hank seem worse. And weirdly enough, the entire, like, just his vocabulary revolves around Hank. So there's Hank, Hank's wife. And then his <laughs> his child he has later is good Hank. Good Hank. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. People are going to think I'm bad Hank. <laughs> and... And also, I mean, Cotton's death scene in... It's great. One of the best. Yeah. I love that he... That Peggy knows what a horrible, awful person he is in general, and he hates her too. It's one of the more redeeming uh, scenes with Peggy in episodes. I mean, they, they go a little too far with her sometimes in making her a despicable character who is very <laughs> self-centered and narcissistic, but that's a great Peggy moment. She loves Hank and just wants him to be happy and not be hurt by his father any longer. And and in, and I guess technically she succeeds at that by getting Cotton to kill himself. Yeah. And also her bonding with Cotton after breaking all of her bones is also a great scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that one too, that it ends with Hank telling her the like, well, no, I look, all I know is that my, obviously my dad didn't do all those war stories, but... They did survive World War II and having his shins, his feet tied to his knees. So that's got to be something. Yeah. So in the last scene here, we get a rather uh, an uncomfortable, touching ending <laughs> that I feel like this is also a rejection, a slight rejection of sitcom tropes that it just takes so long for it to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you would think like, well, in a written show, it would be better paced, but like this, more pithy too. <laughs> but here's just how uncomfortable an actual human would be saying these things. Uh, 
You, uh, you're my son, uh, well, you know, with everything, uh, that entails, uh, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, uh, feelings of, uh, fondness and more, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean, don't you, boy? No. Ah, uh, well, uh, <coughs> Oh, that's a hell of a weird sound. I never made that before. Uh, I, you, uh, family. You're not making this easy on me, boy. <sighs> okay. I love you no matter what you do there. Phew. Let's go get something to eat. I'm not just a big disappointment to you. Disappointment? No, you make me proud. I've been disappointed by just about everything else in this town, but you, not once. Damn it, you're my boy. <laughs> you know better than that. <laughs> he punched him. I knew it. I told him. Did, did you see that? See what, quick boy? <sighs> Never mind. I mentioned it before on other podcasts, but I love the series F is for Family. Mm. It reminds me of a very, uh, just like this, a very character-driven show about a very, you know, well-defined place. But I feel like it is missing the sweetness of scenes like this. I feel like that show is very funny, but it's always so cruel. And I feel like Mm. no character really loves another character. Their love (laughs) is just begrudging and obligatory, but there's always cynicism to it. But here... Mm. It, this is the real sweetness of the show, despite how dark it can get, despite how ugly the characters can get. I do like the underlying sweetness to the relationships. Like, Hank does not hate Bobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many real fathers who despise their children mm-hmm. who are too different, but there is, uh, it's slightly unrealistic, I guess, in this case, but there is underlying love and sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. I also love Ephesus for Family, and uh, I've been rewatching a lot of Bob's Burgers lately after we did the, the Thanksgiving podcast, and uh, I'm noticing that that is also very in the mold of King of the hill especially in the, like you're terrible you're all terrible like that kind of stuff is it feels very king of the hill to me <laughs> bob is a hank hill figure as well too yes though so like he, a put upon every man yeah yes yeah though he's more understanding of the world he comes from the world like no i like everything i'm i'm a burger artist though like he <laughs> that but they he's definitely in the hill mold uh, well, he, when you mentioned f is for family bob that made me think of uh in the first episode of that show or second, there's a real opposite scene of this, of his firstborn son screaming at his dad, I fucking hate you. Yeah. And his dad is this close to punching him until he goes to the garage to hit his punching bag so he doesn't punch his children. Like... He never puts them through a wall like he claims to. Yes. <laughs> Want but, to. But it's so like it is a mean show. Yeah, about yeah. but it's but it's also just about like you're all driven ragged by existence <laughs> so that you you're cruelest to the people around you because life is awful. It's much more realistic in that sense, but I <laughs> yeah. love the 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 uh the altered reality of King of the Hill where people can love each other despite their huge differences. Well, Hank isn't as economically troubled that as is true. for family is yeah. though. He's got a nice middle-class lifestyle. (laughs) Uh, But, guy, yes, that's a great exit there, a great exit of Twig Boy being rejected by Texas. Like, like this world will keep existing. It doesn't need your L.A. value. Get back to L.A., Twig Boy. 
was that twig boy? <laughs> like that that just delivery there. It, I also just like putting on my southern man voice. It's fun. But uh, everyone knows him as Twig Boy. <laughs> twig Boy. They just know just looking at him like you're a Twig Boy. That's I'm, what you are. I'm sure I would be one if I went to Texas. <laughs> oh yeah, or girl hair. Girl he hair did, Twig Boy. I mean, they're not making fun of his girly haircut, which That's he true. also has. Like he's he breaks all the rules of manhood, <laughs> Anthony does. Well, same with like Anthony. Like yeah. he's he should be Tony. Tony. You don't go by Anthony. That's a wussy boy's name. Yeah. Yeah. Fix it again, Anthony. <laughs> These are all the rules of life in the South that you just know. It's like, well, men don't do that. Men don't do that. It's a very oppressive life. It sucks. <laughs> but this uh, show doesn't suck. This no, is funny. No. This was a funny pilot. I, I haven't watched the pilot in a long time, and I forgot how good it is. I mean, it's not the quite the pace I like the show to reach, but it's still very funny. The characters are mostly who they are, except for Peggy, and she's still funny. I hope we can do this for our Talking Simpsons Patreon uh, next miniseries in 2019. The voting should be happening soon for that, I'm guessing, right? Yes, yeah. King of the Hill will be one of the choices, among others. Uh, no Futurama in this first one because I feel like that would just win. But yeah, uh, Futurama gets one turn off, <laughs> and we'll, we look. It looks like with our what our Patreon is doing, we might do too many series in 2019. So who knows what we'll do after that? Oh. And they'll all be exclusive to the Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Talking Simpsons. But I feel like we're we're getting ahead of ourselves on plugs. We should give Matt true. some more plugs. Yeah, time. Matthew Matt? J. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we mentioned your stuff up top. Can you remind everybody where we can find you and what your projects are? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Matt J. And uh, my main two things are, we'll watch Mitch live at Mitch.live, which mm-hmm. uh, is, is happening about once a month. Uh, the the talk show where the host doesn't know uh, who the guests are going to be, what the jokes are, sometimes when and where it's happening. Uh, and the host, of course, is Mike Mitchell from Doughboys, who is one of the funniest guys in the world. So he, <laughs> he rolls with it and is great. Uh, oh, and his co-host from Doughboys, Nick Weiger, is going to be on my other podcast that I mentioned oh, earlier. Killer. The, the yeah, corny-ass Nick and- Weiger? Wow. We we got a we have a, the Burger Boy himself, Nick Weiger, coming on to uh, talk about some Adult Swim stuff, and he's worked on Adult Swim shows, like many of our guests. Uh, and uh, that's over at you can just search on uh, iTunes, uh, The Deep End. It's the one with brackets around it. There are a couple shows called that, but we're the only one currently, I think. <laughs> um, we very quickly rose to like the easiest one to search for for a day or two. It was hard to find, but we got enough reviews that it went up there. Uh, we're watching everything that's ever been aired on adult swim, including things that reran from cartoon network, uh, specials that only aired once like night of the living do. We're going to cover everything with a bunch of awesome guests. Uh, Weiger is not the secret guest that I couldn't say earlier. I'm still not going to say, but I will tell you, uh, you're not going to believe it when we get to it. Uh, it. It's it's nuts. And uh, my other show is the Cartoons 101 podcast, which is uh, at patreon.com. It's Cartoons 101, where I interview animation creators like uh, uh, Bill Oakley, um, like Alan Denton, who I mentioned earlier, Jeff Trammell from Craig of the Creek. Oh, uh, I didn't know you did Jeff. That's, yeah, I, I had Jeff on. He came over to my house. Jeff's a super cool guy. He's one of the coolest guys in the world. He's he's a, he's a good buddy. We're Twitter buddies. And, uh, I need to, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to having him on a future What a Cartoon, I think. Yeah, Fingers totally. Crossed. Oh, yeah, get him on. He's going to be annoyed that he wasn't on for King of the Hill. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Get him on. He, he's a super cool Let's dude. Let's record and, this uh, with Jeff. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. But when you come back down to L.A., we'll... We'll hang out. Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> Los Angeles. Bunch of awesome stuff over there. Um, and uh, there's also a Patreon for The Deep End where you get uh, an extra podcast that every week is about the Venture Brothers. We're going through every single episode of the Venture Brothers, which may be a hint for who our special guest is. I won't say Ooh, it. Oh, my uh, God. I'm check excited. that out at, uh, at patreon.com slash the deep end. So, yes, I mentioned it before, but if this is your first exposure to a What a Cartoon style podcast, check out What a Cartoon. You can find that uh, wherever you find podcasts. Like I said, we go 
through a ton of animated series, a different episode from a different series every week, and that comes out every Monday. And that is supported by the Talking Simpsons Network. So if you want to support our show and get a ton of bonus podcasts on top of that, go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And for the subscription fee of five bucks a month, you can get every episode of Talking Simpsons and What a Cartoon a week ahead of time and ad-free. And there are so many bonuses on top of that. I mentioned our exclusive series that we do for the Patreon. Those are only on the Patreon. And they have included so far a Talking Critic in our first year, Talking Futurama in our second year. And who knows what it'll be? It'll probably be King of the Hill, I'm guessing. But there could be a fourth series in 2019 if we if we raise a few hundred more dollars and hit our $11,000 goal. And it seems very likely at this point. So if you sign up today, you get a nice little code you can drop into your podcast machine. And you can access dozens and dozens of bonus episodes. So many to catch up on if you've never been part of the Patreon before. And Patreon also has a very good app you can use if you want to listen that way as well. And Henry, we have a new $10 podcast that people can listen to, and it's all about movies. Can you talk about that? At the $10 level, we used to offer a monthly video, which you can still see all the previous videos. They are available to everybody who signs up at the $10 level. But now, each month, we will be doing a different animated film for our What a Cartoon Movie podcast, me and Bob. We talked about Batman Mask of the Phantasm in November. December was Kiki's Delivery Service. January is looking to be Akira, Mm. just in time for 2019, uh, which is when the film is set. So you will be able to hear all those if you up your pledge to $10 a month. I think you get a real good deal out of that for the amount you pay. And it helps me and Bob do this full time. And also, I want to say there's just a few days left when you're listening to this. Oh, my gosh. But Talking Simpsons is doing a live podcast in San Francisco on January 16th, 8 p.m. at the Gateway Theater. You can find the tickets to it at sfsketchfest.com. Look for it on the schedule. Me and Bob will be doing our episode for Principal and the Popper, the Armin Tamzarian episode, and we will have special guests there, Julia Prescott and Allie Gertz of the Everything's Coming Up Simpsons podcast. So it is a Simpsons podcast crossover event live January 16th, 8 p.m., at the Gateway Theater in downtown San Francisco. It's like the Avengers for a Simpsons podcast, right? Is that how it works? <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, they said that Infinity War was the greatest crossover of all time. That, that's the meme. Which Infinity Gem am I? Yellow? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Ask yourself Hair. at home. <laughs> Hair. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, folks. Uh, as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mack. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast is Retronauts, the classic gaming podcast. Check it out at retronauts.com or look for Retronauts in your podcast machine. It's been going on since 2006, and I think we have almost 500 episodes so far, so just dig into the backlog and see what you like, and if you like it, please subscribe. Henry, how about you? Hey, I'm Henry Gilbert, and you can find me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G when there's updates to the shows and all the other podcasts and everything that's going on on the Patreon. I share it there on my Twitter account along with lots of other things. One more time, that's H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Thank you for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week for the City of New York versus Homer Simpson. Thank you for listening. But he's all I got.